Hello, everybody. Welcome to RPG Cast, episode 373 for January 23rd, 2016. I'm your host, Chris Privetier, here to bring you all the RPG news of the week with help from nobody. No, I'm kidding. Anna Marie Privetier is here, my lovely wife. But she says she she's a little busy eating, so we're not going to put her on mic right now. But she's going to stuff her face off camera. Also here with me this week, Jonathan Stringer. Hello, I've returned. Where's the third one in a row now, right? Third one in a row. Good for you. That's good progress. Yes. <laughs> also with us this week, Alice Wilkinson. Yep, definitely here, honestly. De definitely here. Alice Wilkinson, I'm going to start with you because I have one question for you. Yes. Have you delivered any missiles this past week? Yes. Oh, tell me all about it. Um, okay, so this is more going to be a kind of sort of. Um, oh. But, um, how, how familiar are you with um, new player organizations in EVE Online? Like, how up to date on that are you? Um, I mean, starting corporations? Yeah. Well, no, not the ones that you start with. Okay. But the ones that are, are intentionally made by other players to help guide new players. Oh, through. I am not very familiar with those because I'm in a really good, just like default starting one that has embraced that and is very helpful for new players. Okay. So um, some people might be familiar with uh, Brave Newbies. Uh, they promptly imploded around a year ago uh, due to massive amounts of drama and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so there, are, but there are still several others that basically take in um, new players, sort of fresh into the game, and uh, give them an environment to sort of shoot things, learn PvP, that kind of thing. So I have a couple of really, really long training skills running on my main at the moment. Uh, <clears throat> so I made a, I made a decision to join a Pandemic Horde uh, on an alt on an alt character. One who doesn't really have a lot of skills and generally can't fly very much. Just really just to kind of see what it was like flying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a lot of fun. Um, while I didn't shoot any, uh, I didn't shoot any players because we didn't find any. Um, my first fleet did involve uh, reinforcing a uh, player-owned starbase over in Losec um, because apparently the leaders of Pandemic Horde are trolling the crap out of the owners. That's so cool. that was fun. Yeah, uh, I, I did. Miss, we did. Miss, I personally missed out on a Dominic's kill that happened as the fleet was returning to staging, which is in Aquarius. Uh. So, but basically, Pandemic Horde is an organization run by uh, Pandemic Legion, who are basically the alliance for. It's like Pandemic Legion's like a retirement home for bitter vets. <laughs> okay. So, and they probably have the largest super capital fleet in Eve. Oh, the second largest. I can't remember if Goon Swarm's one is larger or not. Um, before the nerfs to jump range and uh, jump drives in general, um, they were basically usually seen as a kind of roaming third party who would basically just drop their supers with impunity all over the place. So, yeah. And this is what they do when they retire? Well, yeah. So basically you train up to be a uh, mothership or Titan pilot and then you just fly with Pandemic Legion. Oh, okay. And then spend and spend lots of time logged out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I have a maybe I have the wrong view over pa of Pandemic Legion, but that's kind of the way I've sort of seen them. I personally don't really have any interest in joining them, but Pandemic Horde is set up so that um 
people who are interested, uh, basically they assign, they have like a mentor program, they have a fairly comprehensive ship replacement program, uh, they train you how to be a logi bro, uh, you know, it's that sort of stuff. So, so, so you, you've found more fun in the starting guild rather than your other um, kill guild for now. Um, well, yeah, for now. Um, Pandemic Horde has a more, uh, like, sort of kitchen fleet assigned to things. There are fleet doctrines, as you probably would expect from a, from a Nullsec entity. I, I, but... I don't know what a fleet doctrine is. Okay, so fleet doctrine re refers to uh, a specific ship setup. Oh, okay. And basically, fleets are usually formed of a specific ship setup or two specific ship setups, along with uh, logistics for those. So shield or armor repairers depending on what type of ships they're flying uh the the uh the fleet i was flying with was actually a ferox fleet um but i brought my caracal because i couldn't fly a ferox so there's always room for people to fly other positions in a fleet for example fast tackle or logistics or things like that fast so. tackle really yeah that's a thing yeah you actually do you really just go run into a ship or something or yeah, pretty much. You, you take you, you take a frigate-sized ship with a micro warp drive, so small ship flies very fast, and mm -hmm. then stick warp scramblers, webs on it, and then fly around and hold things in place while your other fleetmates shoot them. Oh, that's great! But then they're so, shooting you while that's happening. Yeah, but that's the whole point of flying a small uh, micro warp drive ship. If you if you are tackling a um, like cruiser and above, that unless they're packing something specifically designed to shoot frigates then they're going to have a hard time hitting you. Oh, really? Okay. There is such a thing as speed tanking. Nice. Because uh, every shot takes into account speed, tra traversal, depending on the type of gun, that kind of thing. So if you're traveling too fast, battleship weapons can't track frigates. They'll just whiff into space. Yeah, kind of like the turbo lasers on the uh, Death Star. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, kind of like everything on the Death Star, really. But... <laughs> And the so, Super Star Destroyers. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's basically um, that's basically what I've done is um, because I've never particularly. I did spend some time in Nullsec, like way back in two thousand and five, but the the sort of um, the structure of Nullsec was very very different back then compared to now, um, and you know lots of things have changed for better or worse. Um, so it was interesting um, flying. I mean, it was interesting. I mean, the thing about wingspan fleets is they tend not to be very big. Cloaky fleets generally aren't. The more people you have in a cloaky fleet, the easier it is for something to go wrong. You know, people uncloaking other people accidentally, that kind of thing. You know, I was in a fleet this time around with, what, 80 people? Whereas I think my last wingspan fleet had about 10 in it. Oh, jeez. So, but then again, 80 the whole point... People. That's like twice yeah. an old school WoW raid. How do yeah. you manage eighty people? Uh, broadcasting and swearing, <laughs> and also and jokes. I, I would think with eighty people, that it, you know, you're getting set up for like a gigantic war with another corporation, which well, yeah, which if all... eighty is just like a normal thing, makes me want to ask you the question: one of these gigantic wars, how many people are on a side? Um, I'm trying to remember how many people the CFC covers. I think it's about 40,000, oh, something for like that. Sake. The CFC? 
Um, okay, well, um, this kind of goes into a lot into sort of the depths of NullSec politics, but I still refer to them as the CFC, even though they have technically rebranded. It's just that their new rebranded name sucks. But are you familiar with Goonswarm, at least? Yeah. So the northwest of EVE NullSec is controlled by Goonswarm and then alliances allied with Goonswarm. Um, so there's a bunch of others in that area um, who are all kind of come under um, that banner. However, collectively, they're known as CFC or the Clusterfuck Coalition. <laughs> okay. Um, so, however, they rebranded to uh, the Imperium, but everyone still calls them the CFC. Okay. Um, yeah, so that about sums up my EVE experience this week and, but so how many kills did you get none, none. technically because so, i re we reinforced the starbase but i wasn't around for the uh the fleet that actually uh went to take it out and happened at the wrong time of day for me uh, so however there's still plenty of opportunities for me to you join do in. better next time all right yeah yeah i'll try we have expectations from you all right yes i know you do so I'm I'm assuming you went and got your uh your ship kills on in a single player game instead. Uh well yes. Yes, I suppose. This is I a transition to homeworld, Alice. This is Yes, I know. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> so what do you, so what so what do you want to know about Homeworld? Um, of Karak? So this so Homeworld This is part of the remastered thing, right? Um no. No? Okay. Um, so Homeworld Deserts of Karak were, is the project that came out of the Homeworld Shipbreakers project, um, which has been kind of in sort of pseudo-development for a very long time and kind of very loosely connected to... Um, well, actually, hmm, actually, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think Shipbreakers was actually being done by a bunch of original Homeworld um, developers. So this isn't by the same people who made the remastered collection? Um, I don't believe Blackbird Interactive did um, the remaster. Okay, right, because it was Gearbox who did the remaster. Uh, yeah, Gearbox did the remaster because they brought the IP to Homeworld. Yeah, when so THQ they're publishing this. Okay. Yeah. However, the actual game, the company Blackbird Interactive, um, is uh, some of them are were previously members of Relic, who made Homeworld and Homeworld Two. Um, and they, they were creating a spiritual successor to Homeworld, which was called Hardware Shipbreakers. Sorry, not Homeworld Shipbreakers. Hardware Shipbreakers. Okay. Um, which contained a lot of, when, you know, when initial screenshots of that project came out, people were saying, oh, yeah, you know, this game looks really like Homeworld. I think um, then uh, Gearbox then released the remastered version of Homeworld and then allowed uh, Blackbird Interactive to use the Homeworld IP. So rather than making a spiritual successor to um, Homeworld, they could actually use the Homeworld property itself. Um, the difference being is instead of making it a sequel to Homeworld or one set between Homeworld and Homeworld 2, uh, they instead turned it into a, a game that's set um, on the... the, the planet that the play the characters come from in the original homeworld and turned it into a prequel i so i don't know homeworld lore but i'm realizing something more important here this game doesn't happen in space does it 
No, no, it okay. does not. So Homeworld, I, in my mind, is space games. This is not a space game. No, it is not. So how is this a Homeworld game? So it is still based on... Um, basically, it's based on Homeworld's lore. Um, okay. So you're playing through a, an important period in um, that's been established in Homeworld's lore prior to the start of the first game. Um, the other thing is it maintains a lot of the design aesthetic, um, quite a bit of the voice, like kind of the, the style of the voice acting. I don't think it contains any of the, the same voice actors from the original Homeworld, for example. But like the overall style of the cutscenes is very similar to the original Homeworld. It, it, I suppose what I'm trying to say is it kind of feels like a Homeworld game, even though it's set technically set in two dimensions. All right. So, um, so basically the, the whole setup of this is um, the, the single-player campaign is structured very similar to the single-player campaign in the original Homeworld in that you ha control a central uh, carrier, which is basically like this big land carrier, um, and it's trekking out into the desert to recover something called the primary anomaly, which would be very familiar to anyone who's played the first game for more than about five minutes. Okay. Um, so, and it's structured so that um, when you finish one mission, you proceed to the next one with all of the uh, forces that you ended the previous mission with, you know, kind of representing a kind of continual campaign over a period of time. Okay. Still, still no, I, I'm still with you. I'm just processing. All right. So this is a homeworld game, but on the ground. Mm -hmm. Made by a different developer. It's a prequel. And instead of ships, you have tanks. Yeah, it's sort of tanks and dune vehicles. Dune uh, vehicles. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Car right. Carrick itself is a desert planet. So desert ships. So um, I'm, I'm okay with that. But I say, I personally, I'm... There are a couple of things I could certainly say about the 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 real like it's a it is a real time strategy game. If you've played any two D like ground based real time strategy game, you pretty much know what you're getting in for. It does still kind of carry over a couple of the other um, sort of homeworld uh, style things in terms of your production facility is very mobile um, and your resourcing operations tend to have to be fairly mobile as well in order to kind of keep up with the limited resources present on a map um so it has has very i don't know unique flair to it that kind of still makes it very much feel like a homeworld game um there are a couple of things in terms of the the actual like systems of the game itself which uh like um it could really use um like homeworld's formation system um, but other than that, I've been enjoying it quite a lot. I'm about hmm, halfway through the campaign at the moment. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, someone actually gifted that for me recently. I haven't played it yet. But the aesthetic reminds me a lot of uh, Dune, the old Dune games and the Dune. Yeah, I guess the uh, desert planet. Yeah, I think it's probably the, the 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 desert planet thing probably helps that. Um, it's got a very like sort of functional aesthetic to it, and there's a lot of very um, like minor touches to the the um, that kind of just kind of enhance how the game feels. Like the units themselves are pretty detailed; you can zoom like right in close to them. Um, but also things like um, 
one of the the hallmarks I feel of both Homeworld and Homeworld Two was um, you got a lot of feedback through um, like your units giving you radio chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they engaged units or when they spotted things on the edge of their sensor radius and stuff like that, they gave you little um, like sort of little sort of bit of vocal feedback so you kind of know what's happening. But they've also kind of expanded that a little so that during quiet moments occasionally um, a couple of your units will like uh, converse with each other to see how things are getting on and things like that. And they just sort of drop some some minor so there's a couple of Easter Easter egg references in those in those conversations and things like that. So um let's say it I think it kind of overall enhances how the game like kind of feels. It's got a very good feel to it. So uh yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh did you play anything else this week? Uh I have been playing Blade and Soul. What is Blade and Soul? Uh so that's um NCSoft's latest Korean uh acquisition. Is this a free to play MMO? Yes it is. Okay. Um Anna, your mic isn't on. Should it be? Uh yes. Okay. Is did you right. say something? That game isn't even out and it has a ridiculous amount of controversy surrounding it already. The game is out. Like what? Um so they sold um what did they call them? Like starter packs? where there were people that could start ahead of everybody else and reserve their name. And they that particular group of people got very angry when they rushed to name their character Naruto and other trademarked common things and couldn't. Why is that? Because um, the GM team um, either reserved themselves or disabled a bunch of names. It doesn't really surprise me, considering NCSoft has been in hot water before over this sort of thing when City of Heroes came around and (laughs) they got a a lawsuit from Marvel over it. Um, And so it was kind of funny reading about this on various websites. And I mean, having been a GM myself, um, I realized there's only so much that you can do to protect stupid people from being stupid. Or I guess that's actually that's mean. There is only so much you can do to protect it's... gullible people from being gullible. Oh, no, I, I <laughs> much more fair. That I is much more that. fair because it's I... that's yeah, yeah, yeah. People fall for this crap, Chris, and you know it. What crap are they falling for? People with GM in their name. Oh, okay. even though it's like Eon GM Smith. Wow, but yeah, it's um. I mean, I, I actually thought any controversy would probably would have surrounded the outfits, but you know. What? Uh, um, tell me about the outfits. Um, well, I mean, if you like outfits that expose a lot of skin, this is the game for you. Okay, I'm going to Blade and Soul. Please enter your yeah, well, birthday. I would actually say that, that there is a reason for that. The artist, the Korean artist responsible for the main art direction for Blade and Soul is a, a guy named uh, Hyun, I think it's Hyun Tae Kim. Um, and he is very, very famous in Korea for his art style. It's a little bit like George Kamatani, the guy who did Dragon's Crown. Oh, great. Um, however... What I was what I was kind of expecting was, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going into a Korean grind fest with a guy well known for his extremely exaggerated art styles and lots and lots and lots of fan service. You know what? I've actually had a pick through the, the female um, the, the, the female wardrobe options. And number one, 
your gear is separate from your appearance. Positive point number one, more games should be doing that. But number two, there's actually a surprising number of outfits that kind of don't show a lot of skin. They're kind of like, you know, what you'd expect from, like, I don't know. Have you ever seen a Wuxia film? No, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, what's the best example I can think of? Uh, House of Flying Daggers, a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, oh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of like Chinese sort of um, East Asian like um, fantasy feel to it. Uh-huh. You know, like martial arts uniforms, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. I can wear something where... Ah, you know, I my... finally found one. Yeah. I finally found one where like you can see the entire side of her leg and butt. But yeah. it took a long time going through their media to find that. Yeah, I was. That's the thing. I was kind of sorry. I was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, like every outfit in the game is just going to be like, you know, stripper gear and then stripper gear plus one. But my character at the moment is wearing something that covers her right the way down to her knees, and even then she's wearing leggings. There is like no bare skin here. The summoner class looks like it's kind of cute, like fun. To watch. Oh yeah, those those little furry little things cats. running around. Like you summon a little kitty cat that bonks things on the head with a hammer. Yeah. Yeah, the little, apparently Hyuntae Kim actually didn't want those in the game, but... Um, oh, NC really? Insisted, what a shock. Uh, NCSoft insisted. Uh, it's actually... Not well, enough skin? I, I, am, I am personally not surprised that they're in, although admittedly their, their outfits are actually, I'm again, surprised by their outfits considering things. But um, the game itself is cl- quite clearly built on a, um, like, the same engine that they used for ion but then scaled up for to meet modern graphics sort of thing it looks very pretty at least and the combat's a lot of fun if nothing else i mean i don't know how familiar are you with terra uh i played terra it was very action-based yeah yeah and the combat in this is much the same okay so it's instead of tab targeting stuff like that you have a very um like sort of active um sort of active style combat with um lots of flipping around lots of i mean i play an assassin for example and so there's lots of getting around behind people kicking them in the back of the head stabbing them with that while it while it might i mean i'm looking at the ui at the moment while it appears that i only have like eight prince buttons so one two three four and then x z c and v yeah um there are a lot of um, contextual accent actions. So, for example, um, some of your buttons will change depending on what the enemy is doing. Um, so the assassin has, for example, a stealth system that replaces all of the one, two, three, four abilities with different abilities when you're stealth. So you can do lots of different things. You can knock enemies up in the air and do ridiculous aerial combos on them, that kind of thing. So I'm now on the Reddit for this game. And I'm watching Uh-oh. the crazy characters that people have made, including Broccoli Man, um, who looks uh-huh. like a walking piece of broccoli, um, a guy who looks exactly like Geralt from The Witcher. Um, <laughs> the character creator is fun. Yeah, like you've recruited the, Chris. <laughs> so the the, the character well the character creator is is broadly similar to Ion. So there's a lot of kind of very ridiculous character creator to do. If you want to create a female character that is entirely legs, that's pretty much up to you. <laughs> Because, you know, if you want to look at that for the next, I don't know, 50 hours of gameplay or whatever, that's your call. I'm not going to judge you for it. Although I may side-eye you if I end up in the same same group as you. Speaking thereof, actually, there is a pretty good um, LFG system 
Um, this has got to be something that I wouldn't mind seeing in a couple of other games with similar systems, but there is a tick box in the LF in the looking for group system um, where you can exclude your own, like finding a group with your own class in. So say I'm going into a dungeon because I'm specifically after a piece of loot that drops from my class and I don't want to have to roll against anyone for it. I can exclude other assassins from the group finder from my group. So I am only, like, rolling against myself, effectively. So, so yeah. I'm just looking through um, the races and... So for, for, a, for, a, for a Korean groin fest, I am still having quite a lot of fun. Is it a very grindy? Um, hmm. That's kind of hard to say, really. Because as I think the thing about other MMOs is the reason why they feel grindy is the, the combat system just isn't fun. Whereas with this one, I've got about four different ways I can murder something, and they all look cool. There apparently is a race in this game that is all women. Yep. Okay. It does have a... And I kind of like the very... Um, uh, the, the very kind of like sort of Korean fantasy thing that it's got going for it. It's very different. It's markedly different to a number of other MMOs that I've played. Even to something that was inspired by Asia, like, you know, Mists of Pandaria or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think you've already had enough of me talking. Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm looking through this. So for, you know, for a, a race that he didn't want to create, the little animal people is all over this site, so... Well, they certainly made a, different... a lot of art for it. There's a dif there's a difference between what uh, the original artist did for the game and then how NCSoft's marketing team wanted to promote it. Oh, okay. Apparently, that's a big deal in Korea. Little animal people in your MMOs. Actually, looking at NCSoft's catalog of MMOs, the MMOs they all have one. Uh, at least Terra did, and of course Terra wasn't by NCSoft. No, Terra was. I actually can't remember. Yeah, that company just put out another MMO lately. Did they? Yeah. Um, let's see. Unmas. Let's go to Unmas. Uh, at least I found. If it, if they didn't put it out recently, they announced one recently because they they got something coming. Let's uh oh. <laughs> go to Unmas and let's see what their current games are. Terra on Windows. ZMR Zombies, Monsters, and Robots for Windows. Fruit Attacks for iOS and Android, and Pocket Platoons for iOS and Android. So, never mind. There's not another big MMO. <laughs> so, I don't know what I was thinking. I must have gotten confused. <laughs> Maybe it was the company that made Terra, since Unmas localized it, right? I think, so, yeah, I think Unmas are a are like a localizer company. But whoever like made game, Terra, I like think, is making Game Forge or something. I, yeah, I actually honestly can't remember the name of the company that made Terra. Because uh, mostly because I can't. I mean, I was always under the impression that Terra was kind of what Lineage Three was kind of Blue bulldozed hole, into. Right? Really? What? Is that really the name? Jesus. Yeah. They don't even have a Wikipedia page. Blue Hole. Yeah. Also, hello. Hi, oh, hi. Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. A sneaky person. Davillion. That's the new one. They just made a game oh, called Davillion. Oh, that's that Diablo-like, isn't it? That MMORPG with hack and slash combat. It says. Yeah, that one was, I think that was, that's the Diablo-like that ended up on Steam. Yeah. Um, 
Hi, this is one game. Dated as of September 21st, Davillion will tell you that the service is terminated. What? So this makes it sound like Davillion is done. I'm really confused now because it's on Steam now. I know it's yeah. on Steam. <laughs> Did someone pick it up after they got rid of it? I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on anymore. Oh, play as a half-devil hero fighting to save your world from a fallen god and join thousands of others in a vast free-to-play massively multiplayer online action RPG. That looks cool. It must suck. Since no one's really pushing it. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> anyway. So back to Blade and Soul. This looks fun. Is it fun? Yeah, I, I mean, combat system's fun. I think how, how how much you enjoy everything else is largely down to how you feel about the EXP curve, the world setting, and the race, and you know, which sort of race Is the EXP curve awful? Um, the EXP curve is interesting, but I haven't, I wouldn't describe it as awful. I mean, I only started playing it when, uh, when it came out, which was what, Wednesday? Mm-hmm. The maximum level cap is 45, I think, with it going up to 50 at some point in the future. Yeah. And uh, I'm 28. At the oh, moment. that's not bad at all. And bearing in mind, I was, oh, at, work on, I was at work on Wednesday. So. It might be bad if like going 40 to 45 takes just as long as what you've done so far. So. Yeah, but then again, remember, I played Final Fantasy XI. Well, EXP, EXP curves don't really phase me anymore unless they're really bad. Yeah. So. <laughs> and there just seems to be like a general amount of like, I don't know what you'd call them, anti-frustration features, mm -hmm. I guess. At least as far as things like, um, okay, so I, I think there are going to be like frustration features induced by the fact that it's a free-to-play game and you're just going to have to deal with it. But also things like that aforementioned switch in the group finder, which means that you don't have to spend lots of time rolling against other people your class to get loot. So tell me, this game has premium membership. What does that do? Uh, trying to remember, actually. Okay, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> like, So they've got two packs that they try to sell you when you go to download the game. The student bundle. I don't know why it's called the student bundle. And the dual list bundle. The student bundle is 399 ends, and ends is some sort of NCSoft credit. So yeah, N coin. Hey, yeah. currency, whatever. So for 399 coins, you get a premium membership for a week, which I just shake my head at. Why would you buy a week of... Okay. Sunglasses, which I'm presuming are just cosmetic. Probably. Hong Moon Unsealing Charms times 10. Is this one of the games that drops treasure chests and you need to buy a key item to open the chest or something? Um, yes. Yeah, so oh, that's the, awful. The um, there are both. Uh, you have to unseal weapons, but you also and you have to open crates. Um, however, I have so far not run out of either. I don't think. I mean, the game basically hands you them. So lot. you don't need these premium charms to do it, or? Oh, I mean, they're basically just. Um, uh, versions of Unsealing Charms that already exist in game anyway. Okay. So, as I said, I have not at any point, I believe, ran out of them. All right. Maybe there... because I, I don't feel the need to literally unseal everything that I've got because I can just sell them or use them to level up my other equipment or something. Okay. You also get Dragon Trade Pouches times three, which increases your inventory. Look. Mm -hmm. And the Master Field Repair Tool. Which repairs your weapon. Oh, your weapon degrades over time, huh? 
Mm-hmm. And you need premium items to recharge it? Nope. Oh, okay. Those ones, um, those are the ones you can use out in the field. Though. Okay. It's a bit right. like World of Warcraft, where All you right. can't uh, repair your stuff without being in a certain location, unless you have like Jeeves. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, that's three hundred ninety-nine things, and it's uh, your premium membership gives you increased XP gain, additional gold acquisition, and discounts on items in the in-game store. That's right. You've bought your way in to a discount club. All right. Let's see, what do you get for 2,699 N coins? You get uh, traditional Hongmoon Dragon Soup times 10, which is a food buff that increases XP gained in combat. Doesn't say how long it lasts. You get uh, a training expansion ticket, which unlocks an extra tab in your skill book for one character, allows uh, allowing you to save another skill build for easy access. That's right, they're selling you a uh, dual spec. So... Okay. That's fairly fairly standard for free to play MMOs actually. Okay. 30 days of premium membership. Um and let's see. Oh, in addition to that, it, purchasing this pack will give you level 2 premium rank. So there are ranks of premium apparently. Oh, this sounds dirtier and dirtier the more we go. Okay. You get one Hongmoon Brilliant Viridian Key. For one character, unlock your class specific weapon from locked weapon chests acquired in the Viridian Coast. No idea, but okay. So you need that to get some sort of special weapon, it sounds like, or you, you can well, use no, it Well, no, basically that. what that does is it, um, from what I understand, and you, yeah, you can, as far as I'm aware, you can get those keys in-game anyway. You just get one for free because, you know, you've spent money. That's not free. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I mean here. Yeah. Um, but what, so what it does is um, when you open a weapon crate, it gives you any, any weapon that that crate could, could give you. So any of the weapons equipped by any of the other classes that aren't necessarily yourself. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, the way those keys work is they basically lock the loot roll to your class. Okay. So when you crack the crate open, you get something that's guaranteed to be useful to you okay. as opposed to somebody else. I don't know. It depends on how willing you are to play, um, play the trade game for other stuff, I guess. All right. Then, they, then you also get two Cinderlands keys that work the same way, but for chests in the Cinderlands. So yeah, so that's the first, basically the first level area and the second level area. Okay. So, or you could just play the game for free, summon a cat, bonk some stuff on the head for a hammer for an hour or two, and then uninstall it, which I think is yep. the way I would go. So just uh, I w the other thing I would also do is if you do create a character at the moment, play, and you're not planning on playing it for very long, play on a less populated server. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of crowding. Because, oh, no, it's not the crowding the problem. It's the server queues. Oh, jeez. Of course, server queues. I've been playing Final Fantasy XI all week, so I haven't had to deal with server queues. Nope, and we haven't, <laughs> had, to, we haven't had to deal with overcrowding on a Final Fantasy XI server no. for uh, about 13 years. Kind of the opposite problem on a Final Fantasy XI server. <laughs> yeah, how long do you think it'll be before they start merging again? Um, after the console edition goes offline, I bet. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So, I so, think. Well, I suppose. I suppose the reason why they may have just been just like, yeah, we'll just we'll just ride out the initial like the initial wave, uh, because if they if they open too many new servers, they then have to they then run into population problems, which is something that Carbine ran into with uh, WildStar. I seem to remember. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> so they op opened a massive number of new servers to cope with the initial like rush back when it's uh, first before it's free to play release during its original release, and then had to fumble around with free server transfers and server mergers and stuff like that, and apparently botched a bunch of those as well. So I'm so. looking at the Reddit here for Blade and Soul, and people are complaining about not having free transfers to the new servers. So they're like, yeah, well, see, great. Already, Thanks for um, you know opening new servers, but I can't go make use of it, and I still have to deal with the queues and stuff because our server's already overloaded. So, yep. so <laughs> basically, it's a problem that affects basically every game that's released these days. Um, and I say some companies will open new servers, some companies will open lots of new servers, some companies will just try and ride out the queue. There's a lot of different ways in which I've seen it being handled, and I don't think any of them have really worked. Well, I mean, I think of um, Star Wars The Old Republic coming out, and there were really bad queues at first, right? But within a week, it was all done. And it seemed like a combination of strategies that they used for that. Yeah. I mean, I know Blade and Soul has opened some a couple of new servers, because they wouldn't be complaining about them otherwise. Right. Um, but I have, a, I have a feeling that they're probably not going to do the Wildstar method, which is open a lot of new servers, because right. they don't have to deal with the server transfer fallout, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, so the lesson it. is if you're going to make an MMO, design it with server transfers in mind. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you're going mean, to need to do um, something. <laughs> I know Final Fantasy XI, when they put server transfers in, they did charge a fair amount for them, but they then dislike when um, during certain times of the year, they then stick insane discounts on them. In what? Final Fantasy XI. In the left. Oh, well, remember the original solution of that was world tickets, right? Yeah, yeah, and I do remember those, but... <laughs> Which is, have your friend give you a ticket, and then, because we're just going to randomly assign you to a server, have your friend give you a ticket, and then you can create a, a character on that server. There's your transfer. <laughs> yeah. I know they put the transfers in later, but they attached a price tag to it, broadly yeah. similar to the price tag for a server transfer in World of Warcraft. Yeah. Enough. Probably because there if you really need it, but uh, not something you're going to want to do casually. <laughs> no, um, but I know that Final Fantasy XI occasionally reduces the price of server transfers to very low, so, um, usually during their return to Vanadil campaign thing mm -hmm. that they like doing. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. That's all you've been playing. I have been playing two games this week. More Final Fantasy XI where my main progress this week came in the form of doing Tier 1 NMs in Eskazata, so I now have a decent handful of uh, better Level 119 equipment. Oh, wow. Um, I don't think even I've done most of those yet. Did you do those with the shell again? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, last, last night we did some runs for chapters, so I've got 24 Chapter 2s for upgrading AF and 4 Chapter 6s. So it takes a while to do that AF upgrade stuff, but it seems like really important for certain the, classes. Um, the, first, the first level I found usually went fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. So the um, basic getting to 109, to, yeah. getting to 109 is fairly easy. It's getting to 119 that's the real Well, the other part. thing that's hard is if you want to level, um, well, yeah. And then within getting to 119, there's certainly three stages of it. The AF upgrade is the easiest. The relic upgrades is next... And then really expensive is the Empyrean armor upgrades, um, where it's we're talking millions of gil just for 
the items yeah. you need for one piece of that. And uh, that can be obnoxious and take a while. So yep. it's, it seems like the focus is just work on your AF pieces. It'll be much less expensive than anything else. Or uh, get 119 armor from Skirmish or Eskazata NMs. And, um, you know, that's kind of good enough, sort of. Then the next important thing is get job points. Get your job mastered, and that will make you much stronger. So, um, yeah, I'm making progress there, but a lot of boring stuff to do there still. Um, oh, me too. If you, oh yeah, and yeah, I'm making progress. I pooped myself last night, which yeah. means I now can be up to level 85. Yes, the level break quest to go to 85 is basically one long fart joke. <laughs> it's oh yeah, weird. I, I somewhat vaguely, vaguely remember. I wish that I, yeah, you you interact with what is referred to as a brown mage. And maybe we'll just leave it at that because. Oh, it gets better when they start um, referencing um, uh, Mag- uh, Madoka later. Madoka? The anime series. Oh, okay. I don't know that series, so I probably didn't catch those references. It, I say it comes around the, ni- I think it's the 1995 area for those quests. So Sure, the Atori Tutori stuff? Yeah. All right. Hmm. Um, but basically, I'm at the point now where I need to get Anna up to 99 and draw you into the game and just grind out a bunch of upgrades for my benefit. So, serve me. Uh, no, you, you're going to need to grind out stuff for my benefit. Okay, but, but maybe we can figure out how to do it mutually. No, no, we can't do that. I'm pretty sure there's a joke in there somewhere. Okay. Uh... Yeah, let's just move on. I also played Punch Club, and I'm much further in Punch Club. Um, So that is a mobile game slash Steam game where you are... It is a premium game, so no in-app purchases or anything like that, but it is where you are... uh, It's basically a boxing RPG simulator thing where you are raising your character's level up by punching things in the face and going to work and getting money to buy food to sleep so that you have the energy to train to get your stats up so then you can punch more things in the face and do a better job at it. You don't actually control the fighting. Um, It's just a sim where you keep building your levels up and building your levels up. And I really like games where the numbers just keep going up. Um, And especially ones where you have more control over it than like an idle game. Um, Problem with this game is it's really grindy. Um, there's some times where you'll just spend a couple hours just doing the same thing over and over again just to get your your numbers up so you're ready for the next stage. So um, I think the Steam version has patched a bunch of that stuff to make it better, but the iOS version I'm on has not yet done that. So um, I'm getting closer to the end there, so I'll probably be done by next week. But yeah, a bit grindy. Mm, kind of recommended only if it, it really appeals to you. Otherwise, you're not missing much. You can skip this game and play some other sim game so i have questions for people i want i want people to write in and tell me um games for for mobile or browser that are kind of like grindy rpgs that don't take a lot of your time or attention because i'm i'm finding that i'm liking idle games but uh, the pure idleness of it is just too much so I want something where I have to do a little bit more to manage my stats or choose how to spec my character, but I still don't want it to be heavily involved with story or action. So I need like kind of an idle plus or 
you know, the next step beyond a, a, an auto clicker game sort of thing. So I need people to give me suggestions for that. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out as a genre of a game, but I'm thinking like, you know, something like Punch Club where it just kind of goes and, and you kind of say, all right, I'll go work on this for now. I'm going to work on this for now. I'll go work on this. You have to make decisions and, and check in on it, but um, it's not super involved. So I don't know. Very light RPG, but very much about maxing out stats. That's what I'm looking for because I don't know. I'm an idiot. So anyway, with that, Anna Marie Privateer. Yes. Oh, uh, wait, we're going to save you because um, of where you go. Uh, Jonathan. Yes. Have you Mine, been... Mine's... Have, yeah, not... What? Oh, have you what? been scoring goals with cars? Yes. Or not as many as I would like to. Oh. Are you not very good at it? I'm doing all right, but it's... Uh, I played with a bunch of friends. I have a... Going to a LAN party. Who's done one of those in the last 10 years? And, you can uh, play Rocket League in a LAN party? I mean, you're all hanging out together playing, but the that group of friends who I'll be doing that with plays that game a lot, so I picked it up to join in on and uh, on with them, and I'll be hitting up there in a few weeks. But I, I've been uh, playing it off and on every few nights uh, the last week and uh, scored a few goals, but, you know, actually being able to, like, fly up in the air and, and you know, time and... and get you know hit the ball just right like some of the guys who've been playing a long time seems to take uh some bit of experience to to really get that down but it's it's a still kind of a sports game at its core so i've played a lot of those so that that aspect i get down pretty quick in the movement and, and getting in positions and some of the strategy but uh some of the more it's like one of those easy to pick up and play harder to master kind of games mm-hmm. so I guess that's part of the appeal of it too, for for new and uh, experienced players alike. But uh, it's it's a fun little game to play with some friends. I haven't played it on my own to really work on my game or anything in practice. But when they're on, I'll jump on it with them, and and, and that's enjoyable. So that was, that's been my new game this week. Uh, other than that, I'm still. Well, hold slowly... on, hold on. For Rocket League, how hard is it to learn how to do things like fly? Uh. It, Learn how easy, actually do it effectively, tougher. Okay. Because uh, you jump and then you kind of, it's with a controller, so you kind of angle mm-hmm. your car at the direction you want to kind of, you, you don't really fly, but it's or maybe short flight, but you have to angle your car the way you want and then you hit and hold the boost and it'll kind of like boost launch you in a way, but you also have to take an effect if you're trying to do it to hit the ball the right trajectory to be able to hit the ball depending on how fast it's flying and stuff. So there's definitely some skill. That's probably the most skill intensive thing. And that, and also going up and down the walls and then jumping and flying, you know, off the wall to hit the ball is, is another fairly tough skill to uh, master, which those two skills I haven't mastered every other aspect of the game. I've, I've gotten pretty done pretty well in just a few hours of playtime, but those two type of things are, are much tougher for me. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I can see the appeal and why a lot of people like to play it. You unlock stuff, even though it's mostly all cosmetic, but you get, you know, new cars. Do you have the Back to the Future car? No, I think it's a DLC item. Yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't, I haven't sunk any money in it besides oh. the initial purchase yet. 
Okay. What are you playing on? PC. Okay. Yeah, they all play. Actually, I have it free on the PS4. I think, yeah, I think but... like everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they all play on PC, so. But uh, I'll be playing that and the Rainbow Six that I keep playing uh, off and on at night uh, up there with them, and and uh, they have a bunch of other games listed. So I'll be. It's basically an excuse to have a weekend away. You know, ten people pile in some guy's house and we play. What, PC what, games is this happening soon, or is actually, this... yeah, it's in uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Yeah. So and it's like I got to get good at all the games we're gonna play. I love it. <laughs> you got to train. You yeah, need a training will... montage. Yeah. Is that the week we're not having a podcast? Well, uh, t- no. Fifth. No, we are having one that week. Next okay, week we're well, not having I'll, one. I'll, I'll, oh, okay. Damn. Well, I'll be missing Sorry. the February fifth one. Well, next week I'm giving weekend. you more time to train. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, sleep in and uh, uh, be drinking raw eggs and all that to get that's in, right get in preparation. <laughs> oh, I gotta play but, my punch uh, club now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> more, uh, more Rainbow Six, more Fire Emblem. Slowly making progress there. I, I'm probably which right Fire on Emblem track. again? I've forgotten at this point. The first Game Boy Advance port. Oh, okay. So this is Fire Emblem Light, six or seven or something like that. Yeah, it's called Reckon No Kin in Japanese. Okay, um, if that means anything to not to me, maybe people. to Alice. It's not the Sacred Stones one. Okay, it's the no non-subtitled English game. Right. So, and I'm probably I'm probably the one only... with uh, Lindus, isn't it? Hmm? Is that the one with Lindus? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, I'm probably. Six or seven battles away from finishing that one, so I'm not too far. But uh, it's it's fun. Other than that, nothing, not a lot of new for me. Playing the old sports games that I've been playing. I'm still trying to figure out which big RPG I'm jumping into next, and I kinda... Final Fantasy Explorers this week. Oh no! No! Oh come on! I need to pick up something to to review for the site that I'm planning on. So. Oh okay, yeah, I I I endorse that. How about uh, the, you know? There's a new NCSoft MMO you could play. Apparently, mm. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, we'll get to the new releases later. Maybe we can find something for you in that list. Alex Fuller, welcome to the show, and please tell me what you've been Good. playing. Well, at the moment I started playing Echoes of Ophelia, and that's uh, Echo the Dolphin's new RPG. I don't know what that means. Echo- oh, Echo Dolphin. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Echoes of Etheria is an indie RPG on the Steams, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it is, looks like an RPG Maker game. It is. Well, whatever it's got that the RPG makes. RPG Maker tag, so. Yeah. yeah. It's, the, uh... it's, it's a more advanced RPG Maker than most of them. It has a cat guy in it, and is it a lizard guy? I don't know what Kesh is. Um, frog, maybe I don't know. Lizardy Froggy frog. is lizardy amphibian. Yeah, it's shown up very briefly once. So okay, I don't know. All right, no, don't know too much about him yet. But is other that than that, it's got Adder a very Leah games. Say what? Is that one of those Adelia or whatever it is? Atelier? That, uh... No, this is a no, no not Atelier, but uh, it's that uh, RPG Maker site that kind of hosts RPG Maker games. Oh, this is Dancing Dragon Games who made this yeah. one. Oh, um. Adderlea. Yeah, Adderlea, yeah. That's that's, no, it's, uh, it's not like, it's, yeah, it's, as Chris said, Dancing Dragons, who I think last did Skyborn. 
and they did another one that was, I think, fairly popular, but I can't remember the name of it. So, RPG Maker um, aspersions aside, uh, how's it feel? It's not too bad. I mean, it does have some of the things that you'd associate with an RPG Maker game in that the plot isn't sort of as well formed as they usually are in the bigger releases, so you get just a bit sort of less editing and stuff like that, because obviously you don't have the budget for and stuff, but I mean, it play it plays well. It's got an interesting grid-based sort of dynamic turn-based battle so, system. Yeah, here's a question for you. I haven't played a lot like any RPG Maker games. Do they all have to have like the same battle systems because of what they're built on, or can they uh, be well, very customized? This one, with this one, evidently not. This is quite a heavily customized one because this is this has got the grid-based isometric view, so you have got positioning and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm looking at a screenshot so, of that now. Where yes. yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a pretty advanced form compared to yeah the lot of the others, which are just straight up turn based. And then so. it has like a readiness meter, like Grandia, in the corner. It looks like. Yeah, it's less. It's not quite as real time as that. So you thought, well, actually, maybe it is. It's a bit like that, but the um, the skill countdowns aren't that long. So there's not much of an issue. And it looks like each character has a bunch of hotkeys that you kind of choose what to do. I don't know if you customize those um, or what. You can, actually. That's sort of a set of skills. So you've got, I think, the first four are just standard attack, move, use item, etc. And then you've got four that you can choose from because they learn different skills. So oh. you can assign them and level up skills in that one. So I think you I think there's about twelve skills for each character in the end, and you can assign sort of four of them as active in battle skills, and you've got another set that are passive skills. But so far it's pretty strong on interest. I've only played about four hours of it so far. And as far as I can tell it's roughly a twenty hour game, so Okay. But pretty solid. Yeah. Alright, good. And it seems like it's recommended in the Steam reviews that they're putting up here, so that's a good sign too. All right, so if you need a uh, um, kind of 32-bit looking RPG, uh, there you go. Yep, something to review until Digimon. Until Digimon, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I am claiming that. All right, <laughs> <laughs> you have it, sir. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, yeah. Uh, anything yeah, else? I've been very slowly going through Chairs of Cold Steel. Mm-hmm. Is that still good? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's still good. You sort of just need to have a big session of it at some point. Oh, okay. I just keep talk, playing it late at night and just being too tired to follow stuff. Ah, so a lot is, of story as, going as, on? Yeah, it's a very heavy story story game. So, Is it like this story don't make any sense story like a xenosaga or not xenosaga well maybe a xenosaga but i meant like a xenoblade not not so much it's more that i'm i'll be missing stuff if i try and just follow it when i'm not paying not able to pay as much attention due to being tired so okay cool and say i i want to focus on the story rather than i can't follow the story now tell me about your most important rpg on this list here nhl 16 oh yes yeah, so <laughs> i i leveled up a bit in the ea E-A-S-H-L. The E-A-S-H-L. What is yeah. that? The E-A Sports Hockey League. Oh, so that's Which, like a that, big that, E-A-sponsored thing? No, that's basically the online mode where you control oh, okay. one one player. All right. 
in a match. What's your player? Uh, well, it depends. You can vary. You get different classes for each game, so it's automatically assigned you. Right, so you're playing a dragoon. No, I usually play either a playmaker or power forward. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, fine. No, spearing's not allowed in hockey. <laughs> no Mako Knights. <sighs> All right, fine. That brings us to Anna Marie Privetier. Yes. Anna Marie Privetier. Well, I finished Criminal Girls. Okay. And that was fun. Did you punish everybody? I did. Okay. I punished everybody to the max. And good, good ending. Yeah, Bad ending? actually. Okay. Um. Yeah, it was neat. They they did a really good job, kind of pulling all the story together. So I'm I'm actually glad that I played it. As many complaints as I had. Mm-hmm. Um. And then. I went out of town for a couple of days because I got invited to play Hex at their studio in Santa Ana. All right. So here's our big disclaimer. Anna Marie, well, we got RP Gamer was approached by Cryptozoic and they said, hey, we want to fly somebody out to go play Hex and check out the new PVE stuff that's being added. For those of you who don't remember, Hex is an MMO CCG that was kickstarted. Um, I was a, a backer of that. Um, so there's my disclosure. Um, RP Gamer was approached by these guys this week, uh, I guess last month, saying, hey, we want to do a trip, get people out to check out the upcoming stuff on Embargo. Um, and I wasn't able to go because of work stuff. So Anna went instead, which we thought was a cool idea since Anna hadn't really played the game at all. So it'd be a fresh look at it for her. Um, they paid for this trip. Um, we did not pay for this trip, so there's your disclosure. Um, you can go ahead and discount everything she says if that's your take on things. So, all right, Anna, what so did you do? I played the new PVE mode that's coming in next week. And so I got kind of excited about this because when you first approached me about backing Hex, yeah, you were like, it's going to have a PVE mode. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's cool. Call me when PVE is in. Yeah. And so to... Years later, yeah. Finally, PVE is entering the game. Yeah. So, <laughs> the uh, the game has had an an interesting two years of history. Um, they basically kickstarted it, looking for like what half a million. I don't remember what their original goal was right. at this point. It, they, they got made more. a couple million. <laughs> and um, this was before Hearthstone was even out. No, I think Hearthstone had been announced. I want to say that Hearthstone had been announced, but mm-hmm. we'll have to check a timeline. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, basically they asked for money and people gave them lots of money. And then within a couple months, they said, hey guys, we realized that we have promised a truckload of things. And it is going to take us way longer than we thought to do all of the things. And so basically everybody was left with get their money back or wait. <laughs> I've been waiting. Yeah. And I've been waiting. Yeah, and but you so, didn't put any money in. Well, we put money in. No, nah, not at that point. We hadn't. This is pre-marriage, Anna. Was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, it must have been like three years ago. It was a while. Yeah. Because how long have we been married? Two and a half years at this mm-hmm. point? Okay. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, I got to go to the offices and I got to talk with a bunch of different people that work on it. 
and I will be doing some sort of write-up with all of that stuff. Um, but the embargo is today to talk about the game, so I'm going to talk about the game. Okay. Um, basically, the way that PvE works is you have a class, and you can choose between Cleric, Mage, and Warrior, and every class has their own abilities. Every race has their own abilities, and every race class combination has their own abilities. That's a lot of abilities. Well, basically, there's eight abilities, and you start with four or five of them, and you unlock the last few as you level up. Okay. So you start out with one related to your class, one related to your race, two related to your race class combo, and then I forget what the determination for the other ones are. And so... Um, you basically get plopped onto this map. Oh, and there's eight races. And you can be male or female except for dwarves and velen. There's no females in either of those races for lore reasons. Okay. Which I kind of think is cool in, in the case of the velen. So the velen are like this spider race. And all of the velen are born from the velen queen. And she kills all the females so that she can never have um, a threat to her empire. Mm-hmm. So there's only male villain. And dwarves are carved out of stone. So there's, they're not male as much as they are gender neutral. Okay. All right. So basically you choose your class, you choose your race, and your class determines your hit points and your starting hand class and your abilities. And then you get dropped onto this map and you get four introductory battles that introduce you to PvE and introduce you to how the game flows if you've never played it before. So this is a card game, this keep is a in mind. Game. This is a TCG. And everything you've described sounds like an MMO. So, <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, the TLDR of all of this is they put an MMORPG in their MMO TCG. Okay. Which is kind of why I'm excited about it. Because the thing that kind uh, of... That was bugs- the original promise of Hex that made right. people interested in it. So, um, and it's the dilemma that I have with Hearthstone is I feel like all I'm doing is playing a card game. And that sounds very ridiculous when I say it out loud. Uh Uh-huh. But. You're just playing a children's card game, Anna. I'm just playing. (sighs) So anyways, you go back to Hex. And basically there are, there's a story that crops up around, um, the battles that you're doing. And so there are some battles in the PVE scenarios that are set. So, for example, everybody goes and fights the the piranhas. The piranhas. You love the piranhas, Anna. I hate the piranhas. What is so evil about the piranhas? You know what? I'm just gonna let you fight that battle. I'm not spoiling that. Okay, fine. Fucking piranhas. All right. Ugh. Okay, but other battles um, will be dependent upon what race that you're playing. So, for example, um, there is there are two furry races. There's the coyote. And then there's the shin hair. And they are mortal enemies. And so if the you The shin hair are evil samurai bunnies who dabble in evil dark arts. Yes. And the coyotes are like Native American coyotes. Yes. So they're all about the prophecy, mm-hmm. which I'll talk about. Um, so basically, I decided to start the campaign, the PvE campaign as a coyote. And I was basically frequently running into shin hair. Um, if I was playing a human or an orc, I would not be running into Shin Hairs. They have their own storylines. Mm-hmm. And so you have um, 10 slots to create characters in PvE. So you can actually go through all eight of the races' storylines if you're a lore nerd like me. 
or you can just go through it once with whichever one happens to be your favorite. And so, um, one of the things that I really enjoyed is we got to talk with the, um, guy that creates the AI. And so we had a really fascinating discussion about how he tunes the AI is to be racist. <laughs> and so I love this concept. Which is cool. And so what happens is, is behind the scenes, there's all sorts of these sliders. And basically, the sliders are like how timid or how brave they are, whether they react when you're at full health or low health, um, how they weight various cards. And so basically, here's the example that he gave us. So Kyotl and Shinhair are mortal enemies. So if I'm playing a Kyotl and I'm against a Shinhair, if I play a Shroom card that's a 3-1, the enemy AI weights that as a 4. And they will probably not choose to block it with their 3-2, which the AI weights as being worth 5, because that's not a good trade-off. They're losing more than they're getting rid of, right? But if that card, if that 3-1 is instead a Kyotl, the enemy Shinhair AI rates it as an eight because it hates coyotes. And so all of a sudden it will trade its three, two against your three, one, because it considers the three, one coyotel to be worth more than what it's sacrificing. So it does occasionally make the AI make, I don't want to say mistakes because the AI doesn't think of it as a mistake. It will make the AI create unusual circumstances and even better is in order so that to ensure that the ai is never completely predictable there's actually an 80 10 10 split where the ai will calculate the top three best things to do in that situation according to its own um you know weightings and biases that are in the background and it has an 80 percent chance of doing the the most reasonable thing according to its decision and a ten percent and a twenty percent chance to do something else split between ten and ten. So the AI is crazy, <laughs> and it is fascinating to see it play out in the game, because all of a sudden it will just whip out this thing, and it's like, what? I didn't expect it to do that. Where did that come from? And so it's really cool because it definitely keeps you on your toes. Good. And the other cool thing is, is what they what they wanted to make sure is. The AI cannot cheat. So the AI cannot see what is in your hand. Good. And it cannot see what is in your deck. But what it does do is it takes all of the data from all of the games that it watches being played. And it can then extrapolate from the things that it sees you play, whether you will have something else in your deck. And it will then sort of... Um, decide whether you might have that hand card in your hand so for example if you have a green mana if you have a wild mana visible like that you've played there is like an 86 percent chance that you will have a wild growth in your deck and so the ai always kind of keeps in mind if you have cards in your hand that there might be a wild growth there and so it actually 
makes decisions based on that information. Is like, that just based off your games or based off all, all games? PVE games. Okay, great. Because then if you do things that aren't in the current meta, the AI is going to make really bad decisions. Correct. Okay. And so you can game the meta. You can game the AI doing these things. But the thing is, is as that is successful, word of that strategy is going to spread. No, just don't tell anybody. And more and more people are going to do it. And that will become the new meta. No, no. So the the AI is constantly adjusting. Back to wild growths. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, it's sort of fascinating how they've built this idea that there's never going to be one right way to beat in a specific battle. Because it's going to change over time. It's going to change based on players' behavior. And so that's really cool because that really adds a replayability to it, whether you're playing the same race or whether you're playing a different race. Well, you know what? You you say that as it's a good thing, but when it comes down to PvE, at some point, every PvE content becomes grinding. Yes. And so you want a reliable way to to conquer. And that's true. And so I think that they are really trying to manage that. Because what they've done is inside of PvE, there are battles that are out on like a world map. And those all combine together into a larger story. But there's also little sub stories that take place in dungeons. Okay. And dungeons are different from the overworld map. If you lose a battle on the overworld map, you just have to do it again. If you lose a battle during a dungeon, well, in a dungeon, you have a finite number of lives. And if you lose all of those lives, you get punted completely out of the dungeon and have to restart from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so the cool thing is, is when you complete dungeons, there is a table of 15 things that drop. 15 things. There are nine pieces of equipment and six cards. And the rarity of those 15 things vary from item to item, but there is one legendary piece of equipment and one legendary card in every dungeon. And so you can run them over and over again in an attempt to fill out your set of equipment and to fill out your card list. Um, The other cool mechanic that they introduced in PvE is, um, well, a Pokeball. So you get this artifact um, near the start of your PvE adventure, And basically, there are wild animals that you will come across that you can spend mana and tap your Pokeball, and you can capture things from the opponent's board, and then they become part of your collection. Oh, good. So, like, um, in the PvE, I captured a horny toad. Um, I actually captured several of them because they were a cool card, and they fit well with my deck. Um, And I um, captured some cockatoice babies. Okay. No, no groan for the pun. I don't know what that means. Instead of a cockatrice, it's a cockatwice. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> it's a cockatrice. I don't. It's not. Okay. You're okay. How about a, uh, so they get also going to release a cockatrice or something? I asked them and they kind of just smiled and wouldn't answer. <laughs> Which means yes. So cockatwices are two-headed chickens. Oh, good. And so you can't capture the adults, um, which, by the way, destroy any card that they attack or defend they already, th- This game already has a series of just random buffaloes that have different <laughs> names in each expansion, so this doesn't surprise me. And so you can uh, capture cockatwice chicks. And they're really cute. They're, like, busting out of their All right, can you raise a chocobo? No. Oh. 
You can't ride your Aren't they your in enough trouble with their copyright issues? No, not anymore. That's all over. It's over. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's why um that's why you you place cards in your crypt instead of your graveyard. Yeah. Oh, um I think that's why they changed the card pack size. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Cuz uh I asked them when they changed the card pack size and they were like they 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 didn't want to answer that question. Hmm. They were like, at the same time, we made several other subtle changes to the game. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, yeah, they're... Oh, and you get card packs for playing PvE. And while there are some cards that are PvE exclusive and they're marked on the card itself, um, there's lots of cards that you can get in PvE that you can then go back and use in PvP. Also, the other thing that they've done is, um, so for example, my Kyotl. In order to simplify things, as a level one Kyotl, I can only use, um, I think, blue and white Okay. in my deck. Mm-hmm. And I can have three copies of a common, two copies of an uncommon, one cop- copy of a rare, one copy of a legendary. So even if I have been like a mad PvP player... And I have all the things. I'm not paralyzed by choice. I, I do have a guidepost that I can use. Yeah, but then what about when you level up your Kyoto? Um, those numbers go up. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you can also unlock like red and blue for the Kyoto and purple. Purple unlocks really early. And you can also have one of each kind of colorless thing. Which is cool because I walked up to a shroomkin and he was like have a card and so i got to choose between three colorless cards and each of them had i could clearly see that each of them could function in a deck very differently mm-hmm. i think i ended up choosing that tricera chops i think it was called okay which was basically a big dinosaur with big teeth i had big chops yeah and so as a coyote a lot of my cards have prophecy on it and what prophecy does is it affects the next creature that I pull out of my deck. And so I could prophecy that the next uh, that the next creature I pulled out would have life stealing. Um, they could have like um, oh what's that? I can't remember the way that th- they changed the name. So it's the ability that makes it so your cards don't tap when they attack. Yeah. Um, Defender, I think they call something it something like that. Yeah. Um, and even better is there's one, there's like the Earthshaker. It's like, you know, the, the prophet of the Earthshaker. And it's like a 2-2 that you play for like four mana. So it, it sounds ridiculous, but it has a prophecy that the next creature that you pull out has plus five, plus five. Yeah. A permanent plus five, plus five. Nice. And so I sent Chris a text while in the middle of while I was playing because the next uh, card that I happened to pull out was a dinosaur that is naturally a 6-4. So I pulled it out, and it became an 11-9. It was very large. (laughs) And that is like the best possible situation that I could have had, because that was literally the largest card in my deck. So I had a lot of fun playing PvE, and I was kind of sad to leave, because I'm going to have to wait until next week to play more. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I'm just, I'm really intrigued because I love this sort of storyline and I love the lore that they've established. And I, I love TCGs, but 
the ones that I've played so far haven't captured me because I just don't have a good story to follow. So I'm glad they put an RPG in their TCG, and I'm looking forward to playing more. Nice. So I will probably do some streaming. I just need to figure out how that's going to work. Okay. So mm-hmm. mad props to, to the Hex folks for having us out there. Um, they were totally awesome. They brought us to In-N-Out. <laughs> I was very excited she got to go to In-N-Out. I like In-N-Out. <laughs> also, I had sushi. Oh, it was so good. Uh, West Coast cool. sushi. I, I, play, uh, I play Magic a lot, or off and on. And I've played Hearthstone some, but it just seems like Magic Light. So I, haven't, I didn't really get in the Hearthstone like a lot of people have, but I would be interested maybe to see a... Uh... Yeah, Hexstone is more, or Hex is more deep like, a heart, uh, like Magic. Right. Okay. And I mean, I think the thing that I like is here's sort of the problem that I think that Chris and I ran into is we actually ran around at one point going through to all of the hobby shops looking for something for work, for my work. And as we walked into all of these card stores and hobby shops, everybody there is like 16 to 21 and they're all guys. Hmm. And so as people in our thirties, and I mean, we ran into this when we were playing the wow TCG at blues at uh, PAX too. Everybody there was 10 years younger than us. And so as people who grew up playing magic, we have now aged out of the people that go to card stores. See, I don't find that to be the case for me. Really? Uh, a, no, uh, most of my, obviously there are some younger groups that are there, but a lot of my, I've gotten to become pretty good friends with some of the magic players around here in, in the Houston area. And uh, a lot of us are, you know, uh, between like 28 and 35. No, that's cool. And I, I think that may be because you're in a much larger city than us. That's, that may be why, but yeah, there's a big group and we team draft, uh, you know, you know, bars sometimes or guys' houses. We'll have like a team draft day, and we'll go over there and we'll bring a couple boxes and just do team drafts and stuff. That's so. cool, and I wish there was something like that around here. But alternatively, we can now jump online and play hex. <laughs> we need to get into Netrunner, Anna. What's Netrunner? It's like a TCG, but wait, did we play that at? No. Okay. Android Netrunner. It is a TCG, and it is uh, but it's not random packs. They just have straight up expansions. You buy the expansions, you have all the cards. Ooh. But they're constantly releasing new expansions. Oh. So like they they're going to get you either way. They're going to get you essentially, eventually. Um, but it's a little different in that you will have you know all the things you need to figure out how, what sort of deck to make instead of having to wonder. Well, I don't have that card. I don't have that card. I don't have that. We'll just buy that expansion then. Right. <laughs> all so. right. That's definitely something for us to look into. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm. I'll be writing some stuff about Hex. I have found that a lot of, say, if you have a a new card game coming out or like, you know, Force of Wills, a new card game that's become fairly popular, that the newer games will attract the younger kids, (coughs) whereas a lot of the older ones that grew up playing Magic will still play Magic. So I found, like, if you want to jump into one of the new games, they're almost all loaded up with the, you know, uh, kids or really young adults. That's the case, you know, Force of Wills like that, uh, that WoW TCG was like that. I think there was, uh, obviously, Yu-Gi-Oh! was like that. When we were playing the WoW TCG, though, it was well-established. This wasn't like when it was new out. This was like we were playing during, like, the second last expansion. 
I really, really want Wizards to put out a decent Magic the Gathering online clients, please. <laughs> no, they're too busy doing the yearly ones that are okay, but they leave you wanting for more so that you buy the next one and be really sad because it's not as because it's not as complete as you want it to be and you really well, just will have to buy the next one. There is Magic Online, the the actual the PC one. Yeah, the one that comes out every year. No, no, that's there's the, the real one, Anna. Oh, that is, okay. It, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm referring to. That that, <laughs> that client is compared to something like Hearthstone or something like that. That client is so bad. Yeah. And that's the newer one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they had an older one that was even worse. And a lot of cards, you know, the cards in there are worth a lot of money. Well, yeah, they're, they're tied to. You can get complete sets in that, and then redeem them for paper cardboard yeah that there's that and there's also um well i mean all of the cards because they come from booster packs all yeah. of the digital cards all have a value and things like that i think the um the uh challenge was to because you had to pay to open an account but you only had to pay once it was like ten dollars or something so about six pounds at the time and the the challenge was making a deck out of what you'd been given kind of thing because mm-hmm. well, you I could mainly... trade gone yeah no, I mainly just draft on that, or I did, and they changed the, the well, I stopped doing it as much because they changed the dynamic to where if you win um, constructed, you no longer got packs. You got uh, like a ticket to another game to where before you get packs, you'd sell the packs and uh, for tickets and you could play more. You could basically start playing unlimited for free if you're winning enough. Um, but that was um that was the thing though, is much of the game's trading revolves around um those event tickets. Like right. many of the the bots that have been set up to do automated trading through websites um price all of their stuff in like both dollars and event tickets. So you can so the idea was to use like the one of the initial event tickets that you got given mm-hmm. uh, and then use it as credit with one of these sites and then basically just buy a complete deck for it. And it was possible to do. You could do and basically just found a, a decent uh, pauper deck in the colors that you wanted to play as. And you could probably get an entire deck for like one event ticket. Yeah. Though I've basically stopped playing as much now because when they they got rid of giving packs out as rewards so pack prices have gone almost basically to retail so if i draft i almost have to pay retail every draft unless i i'm working off winnings whereas before when you when the packs are a little more flooded in the market you could get you know uh drafts up for about eight dollars so that's kind of killed some of my desire to go and then a lot of people cashed out i think at one point i stopped playing for a while i cashed out all my cards all the digital cards for about eight hundred dollars to one of the vendors so Mm. there's actually some you know a lot of value tied into it yeah that's the one thing i really do like about um magic online and uh, hex online is that the cards have value unlike hearthstone or something where there's no value really associated with it well you can't trade hearthstone cards exactly yeah no uh I'm looking up this Force of Will thing. Is this from like Korea or something? Or yeah, it's kind of it's kind of reminds me of Yu-Gi-Oh a bit, but it plays more like Magic. I hear. Okay. I haven't played it yet, but it's uh, some of my local card shops I've been to lately. I see uh, it's growing in popularity. But uh, the art style is very Korean anime, Japanese. I, I'm not sure exactly which, yeah. but it's it's real shiny, really colorful, and they're all all the cards are foiled. So they're yeah, going for my- that. My uh, my local group back when I used to live where I used to live mostly played um, 
Card Fight Vanguard, which I think is a Japanese TCG. I think. Hmm. This is um, their site sucks. I don't. I, I can't. Tell it's you a how WordPress plays. site. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. They, they um, they're a smaller company, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I don't right, know. I whatever. can't tell you how it plays, but I see. I like the way it looks. Yeah, it's got that flashy, shiny look. Yeah. Well, for our JRPG fans, uh, that art style may be more appealing than like Magic's, but whatever. Anyway, um, enough talk about children's card games. Um, Anna, mm-hmm. tell but people- Chris, don't you know? Don't you know that children's card games basically run the world? Oh, I guess so. <laughs> Anna, tell people about the mistake you've made with your life. So. I was going to play um, Eska and Logi Plus on the trip, and then I realized on Wednesday as I was flying in that it had not downloaded correctly, so I was sad, and I read my Kindle, and then I lost my Kindle. She lost her Kindle. And then, then what did you do? As I was flying back on Friday, I was like, well, I guess I'll play some 3DS stuff. Well, because I had my 3DS handy, so I played a couple Pokemon Picross levels. And then I noticed that I had a lot of street passes for Stella Glow. And I was like, no problem. I'll just go in and clear those out. And I realized that I wasn't far enough to unlock street passes. So I started playing Stella Glow. And six yeah, hours Far later, enough on your new I, game plus, you mean. Yeah. Six hours later, I'm still playing it. So Anna's back to playing Stella Glow, even though she has Paper Mario Paper Jam in her, in her clutches. And, and Stella Glow's a game she's beat already. So Anna... Mm-hmm. Anna, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> All right. I think we're finally through what we've been playing. Yep. Dear goodness. Thank you. An hour and a half later. I know, right? All right. <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's hit up the news. All right. So what do we got here? Um, company called Redshift. They're from Hungary. No, they're not going to. They're not Hungary. They're from Hungary. Uh, they are putting out a first-person grid-based RPG called The Quest. And uh, hold on, I'm still really confused by this called first person grid based RPG that's inspired by titles like Might and Magic. Doesn't that mean it's a first person dungeon crawler? I don't really understand what a first person grid based RPG. Alex, you wrote this. Explain yourself. Yep, yes. What? Sure. Sure, what? <laughs> <laughs> Fine, it's on Steam. Let's see. The Quest. I don't know, they give you descriptions, you just use them. <laughs> don't just rewrite the quest press release. Oh, this looks like an old first-person dungeon crawler. And yeah, that's a first-person dungeon crawler. I think, you know, Grimlock or something like that. Um, Grimrock, rather. Yeah, uh, all right. Hand-drawn. Uh, go check it out, see if you care. So, more first-person dungeon crawlers. Woo! All right. Saturday Morning RPG is now on PS4 and Vita as of six days from now. So, actually, it's coming out January 29th. Um, that is a game that Anna played on iOS, right? Or was it PC? Um, no, I think I played it on iOS. Did you finish it? No. Okay. Well, so you got tired of it? Maybe. But at that point, it was to be continued. Okay. Well, I think that it's all done by now. Um, uh, a lot of 80s pop culture references... Um, Robomega, wait, what's his name now? Adrian Denauden, let's go with that. <laughs> his actual name. He put up a, um, I don't know, a quick look type thing. Uh, part of the Hour to Impress series, which is our new 
kind of like, hey, let's spend an hour with game and see what we think about it. Wait, let's spend 15 minutes at the game, I guess. Why is it called an hour to impress if he's it's only playing for 15? That he compresses all the stuff into 15 minutes of footage. Okay, I like that. I'm going to play it for an hour, yeah. but give you the short version. All right, yeah, perfect. So it speeds up those bits. I should really like watch these. <laughs> that would be. I would do a better job with this if I had. I like the logo at the front. That's good. Hi, Volana. Click on Volana. Go to our website. All right, cool. So go watch that. See what Adrian thinks about it, and then maybe you can pick it up on PS4 and Vita um, when it comes out later this week. All right, uh, Mega Mansion Neptunia V2. Because it's the sequel to Neptunia V. It is not the seventh Neptunia game. But it's coming it, February 2nd, 2016 in the US and February 12th, 2016 at EU. It may be the seventh Neptunia game. Well, well. they've had uh, a few. <laughs> <laughs> well, if not unless... I mean, you can't count the rebirths as new games. They're kind of redos. So you don't count them in the sequential numbering. Oh, so even then it's had like four spin-offs. Well, all right. So the, this one is uh, this is a PS4 game, right? No. Yes. Yes. So next, the characters are now next next gen. So there you go. Uh, that that's coming soon. If you were into the Petunia series, uh, woo. Bravely Second. We have a date for Bravely Second. Yay! A date for the U.S. That's right. April 15, 2016 in the U.S. We're getting a demo as well. Um, EU is getting that demo on February 11th because the game's coming out like in February in in Europe. Um, They announced a collector's edition as well. Let me tell you what's in that collector's edition. In that collector's edition, which, Anna, we have already pre-ordered. In that collector's edition, um, for $69.99, you get the game. You get a 10-track soundtrack sample CD. You get a 250-page art book, and you get a collectible box. That's a big-ass art book in there. So that's cool. So there you go. That's that's your collector's edition for um, Bravely Second. Um, who's excited? Me. Just Anna. Okay, cool. <laughs> Europe is getting a Hyrule Edition 3DS. Alex and Alice, are you finally happy to get a European 3DS with a Triforce on it? I've already got a 3DS. Why do I need to buy another one? Because this one has a Triforce on it. I've got a 3DS with a Minardo on it. Oh, okay. All right. That might... I'm good with that. That's good competition. March 24, 2016. Um, It's coming out around the same time as Hyrule Legends. Hyrule Warriors Legends. Sorry, the 3DS Hyrule Warriors version. Um, But uh, it doesn't come with that game. It's just out around the same time as that game. So... Uh, we got ours around the same time as Triforce Heroes, but it did not come with Triforce Heroes. So that's uh It's the usual Nintendo thing of packaging a three DS with as little as possible. Yeah. Like no plug. <laughs> like no plug, yeah. <laughs> Fire Emblem's Fate Revelation, the third part of the Fire Emblems games, now has a date. March tenth, twenty sixteen. If you were trying to remember, the first two are coming out on February nineteenth. So this is important news for Anna. That she has less than a month to finish the games. All right? Yeah. All right. You have two games to finish in less than a month. <laughs> um, if you're trying to remember how this works for pricing, let me remind you. The first two games are $39.99 each, either physically or digitally. Once you have either game, either way, you can then pay $19.99 for DLC of the other version. Then, when Revelation comes out, it's $19.99 for that. So that's 40 plus 20 plus 20 
is 80. Or you wait. Well, at least we think you wait because no, they haven't announced no, a date for this. No, they confirmed that it's... At least right now, all of the retailers have the collector's edition launching the same day as everything else. That can't be yeah. true, though. That's what GameStop says. And That's... GameStop has a little line that says something like, uh, this is the only way to play Revelation three weeks earlier than its uh, digital release. Yep. Anna, do you want that version? No. You sure? Yeah. Even though you get Revelations early? Yeah. And in one go? I at, don't... At 20% off? digitally. At 20% off? I want it digitally. At 20% off? I want it digitally. I think you have a hard time getting it now. I think they're all sold oh, out. Oh, yeah. The collector's it. edition has been sold out for ages, Chris. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It sold Back out like the November. first day it came out. In fact, even worse was... Um, at the end of November, somehow the, the skew got turned back on accidentally at GameStop and they started taking pre-orders again. And then like two weeks ago, there was an email that went around to all the GameStop stores that, of course, someone leaked to go Nintendo that was like, hey, everybody who ordered it after like October or whatever, they first started taking it. Call all of those people and tell them they're not getting it. Ouch. I think we talked about this last show, too. I think we did. Or the show before. I, I I found um, Fire Emblem Fates a pretty good deal when I bought it back on the e-store um, when the Japanese version came out because I wasn't really that interested in doing the uh, was it the Conquest one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so and I haven't bought the Revelations bit yet because um, I haven't finished the main storyline. And I'm not sure when I'm going to. So I, I kind of didn't need to spend more on the game than I really needed to for also, an additional storyline that I'm nowhere near playing. We got a discount on the eShop cards that I bought Anna, in order to buy this game. This is weird. So Best Buy has the, the digital versions available for pre-order. Are they 20% off? No. Okay. I don't know why. What the heck, Best Buy? I think Gamers I Club Unlocked is only physical games right now. I don't care. Let's check Amazon. Amazon also isn't having the discount on the digital versions. Yep. That's a controversy over the Amazon 20% off game. You can get 20% off a, a physical item, but not the digital. Yep. Or a mini controversy, if you really want to call it that. People being entitled? I wish it did. Don't get me wrong. And I kind of think it should, but I kind of also completely understand why it doesn't. But. I know. You're very sad now. You. Physical cheaper than digital. This is not how it was supposed to be. (laughs) They made promises. Digital was gonna. So, in addition, Fire Emblem has announced, Fire Emblem, Nintendo's announced that they are removing the controversial, uh, di- excuse me, the controversial dialogue about drugging folks and about um, gay conversion from the U.S. version of the game. So, that dialogue, which may or may not have been construed accurately from the assertions, will certainly, and has been confirmed to have been changed, so it will most definitely not be construed in any way meaning those things in the U.S. version um, of the games. They or did Europe. say that they are retaining the two gay marriage candidates. Yeah. So, I think it's in Birthright. If you play a guy, you can marry a bot guy, and in Conquest, if you play as a girl, you can marry a girl. Yeah. And in Revelations, both of those characters are available. Yeah, so you can go either way. So, yeah, they're not taking that stuff out. They're just getting rid of the dialogue that was controversial. Oh, and uh, I think, yeah, I think it was something like you can give her a tea and she, like, falls asleep and she's now, she likes you now or something. So it's, Yeah. 
kind yeah, of date it's, rapey. That's gone. It's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and another thing that got uh, the announcement of the Fire Emblem Fates 3DS. That was also in that announcement. Yep. I think so, I left off. Um, it's the collector's edition, new 3DS XL. Where oh, wait, 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 wait. Is it a 3DS XL? Yes. Because yes. there's plates for regular new 3DSs. Yes, but this is, it's like any other XL that's special. Okay. It just has different face plates. Face. They're not yeah. removable. Right. Okay. So one is white Does and one is Does that come with the black. game? No. Okay. Why would it? I give up. No, how would they decide? How would they decide what game would come with? I don't care. It comes with the collector's one, the eighty (laughs) dollar, and it costs more because Uh, people will buy it. You charge more because people will pay for it. They'll sell out anyway, and they get the big version of the game and their fancy 3ds, and they're happy. That's what you do. I have to admit, I would be tempted to do that, even though I already have one. But I probably wouldn't end up doing it. Okay. But I like the. uh, You know what? I didn't really. I like the idea of a Fire Emblem 3DS, but I didn't really like the design on that one. I'll much. tell you what I like. I like I like this removable faceplate idea because then yeah. you can get the collector's edition fates plates for any game. And then whenever you're playing that game, you put in your fancy new faceplates. They get you to buy these faceplates for every game. More money out of you, so they're happy. You get a fancy-looking 3DS to play, to have around while you're playing that game that you're excited about, so you're happy. Everybody wins. Except the faceplates are only on the smaller version of the 3DS, which is not the one I want, even though I hear it's really good and it's bigger than the old 3DS, and it's really cool, and I should want it anyway, but I don't. And I have to buy some stupid Animal Crossing pack to get it, or whatever else it's... Twilight Princess has an amiibo functionality. Did you know that? Yep. Anna, did you know that? Did I'm sorry, I missed what you said. Twilight Princess has amiibo functionality. It's coming with an amiibo. Well, yeah, Wolf Link with Midna riding on him, uh-huh. which I hate. I get Midna it. off the it's wolf. It's adorable. No, get Midna off the wolf. I love that it. it's adorable. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, you can, <laughs> if you put that amiibo, which you g- get with certain versions of the game that you need to go pre-order now, I think you can still get them, but you know, I don't know how the stock's going to be on those. Uh, it activates a challenge dungeon called the Cave of Shadows. Um, if you have Toon Link or regular Link and put them on your thing while you're playing, um, you get, uh, arrows back. If you have Zelda, it regains hearts. And if you put Zelda or Ganondorf on there, it increases the amount of damage you take making uh, a higher challenge dick so if you want uh challenging speed runs you're gonna need the ganondorf amiibo chris is chris was laughing so hard about this last night because it took me forever to get ganondorf it was like one of the last ones that we acquired because i wanted it for um hyrule warriors and now it's like oh you can use it in twilight princess but you don't want to Oh, what do you care? You haven't even used it in Hyrule Warriors yet. No, I'll use it in the new one. Yeah, even though we have the old one. And you can get a code with the new one that unlocks the characters in the old one, which I don't really understand what that does since you tell me there's still other stuff in the new one that's not in the the old one, even with the code. Oh, I'm so confused. (laughs) Can you explain that? No, don't even. No. All right. Indie RPG, Aerolite Core. It has a demo up and a release plan for quarter three of 2016. I don't know anything else about Aerolite Core except there's demos. So you can get it off their website, which is aerolitecore.com. A-R-E-L-I-T-E-C-O-R-E.com. Go try that demo. That's very indie, 16-bit, 32-bit looking, whatever. 
Dragon Quest Seven is getting a new localization for the West. Now, here's my question. Surprising like nobody, but... No, no, it did surprise people. Why? But how on earth were they surprised? I mean, wasn't it unfinished before? So yes. now they're going to have a, a real one? Yeah, they're the, doing it completely. I like this. Scratch. According to Nintendo, Dragon Quest Seven is, quote, basically a brand new game, unquote. Um, yeah. Yeah, because this one's actually done. And the funny thing <laughs> is, is the people that that I think of as being most excited for the new translation are yeah. Doug and Michael, who, who both worked, worked on the old on one. The old one. <laughs> like, finally, we get to see this game in the form that we wanted it to be in. So, yeah, but apparently this, like, made people lose their minds on game FAQs. I don't know why. In a good way or when, a bad way? When does game FAQs not lose its mind? Uh, you know, <laughs> well, that's, that's a good point. That's fair. So were they upset, Anna? They were upset. They were like, Why? you know, if they just put the old translation in, it could have been out by now. <laughs> mm. That's how it works. All right. That's Got totally it. how it works. That's totally how it works. Yep. Sometimes it's a factor. I don't think it was for this game, but all right. Fair. All right. Fine. Uh-huh. I don't know how people... Since... Tw when did they announce this game? Like 2013? Like... Ever since the inception of this game, and people have been asking about a localization, the answer has always been, well, we would need to relocalize it. Mm -hmm. There has never been a discussion of putting the old translation in. People are insane. Who wants a game out sooner with a bad localization rather than waiting for a better localization? Oh, they're all over. Oh, no, don't ask that question, Chris. Please make it rhetorical. Okay, because I don't under... I don't... I thought it was rhetorical. I can't believe you'd want a, a, less ver a lesser version of the game just to be impatient. Well, they want it, it now, they want it good, and they want it cheap. But so, No, you, know, you can't have all those things. Well, yeah, I know, but that's you what can't, they want. You can't have... In fact, you can't have any of those things. You don't get the game. You're off the list. You're off the list. <laughs> Hyrule's Legends for Wii... Oh, we talked about that already. All right, finally, Kickstart... Well, not finally, because there's other sections of news, but Kickstarter check-in. Heroes, Heroes Song. All right. So I like to go in these as blind as I possibly can. Heroes Song. It's by Pixel Image Games. What else have they done? Let's see. Pixel Image Games. Um, it's John Smedley. Hmm? Wait, I it's know John that Smedley. name. Who's John Smedley? I know that name. Isn't uh, he the former SOE. head of, yeah, Sony Online Entertainment? Guy? Oh, okay. Yes. There you go. So he's making um, a game. I, I always remember it because of Smedley Bucks. All right. A 2D pixel art action RPG for the PC, followed by Mac, being built by Pixel Image Games with a team of veterans. Because, you know, every Kickstarter's got to have a team of veterans. Uh, let's see. They're asking for $800,000. So that's a big one. They've got 100000 so far. they got 25 days left to go. Oh, they're not going to make it. Um, they are calling... What is Hero Song? Let's see. They say, Hero Song is an open-world roguelike fantasy game. Uh-oh. Open world roguelike? I thought you said it was an RPG. Now it's a roguelike. All right. Uh, fancy game done in a, in a beautiful now 2D they can't pixel. They decide what terminology they want to use because they're trying to cast their net really wide to get coverage. Well, let me finish the terms. Okay. <laughs> Is an open world roguelike fantasy game done in a beautiful 2D pixel art style. 
Create epic fantasy worlds uniquely shaped by your choices, the power of the gods, and thousands of years of history. Become a legendary hero in a dangerous and mysterious world of magic and monsters. Explore endless dungeons and ancient cities and long-forgotten lands in search of knowledge, treasure, and the power of the gods. So right now, I don't know if this is a game maker or a dungeon runner. It, it doesn't ex- really explain Here's anything. Here's my favorite point. The first bullet point underneath that says, a hardcore action RPG for hardcore gamers. Okay, so you got to be hardcore to apply. So everyone else leave. Um, I'm out. Later. The second bullet point is create and explore countless epic and ancient fantasy worlds in which gods yet walk the lands. What? Fight, kill, loot, survive, and if you are worthy, ascent. So you make the the worlds and then you fight? Adventure alone or join a community of heroes online. Am I making levels for them? Are they making levels for me? Both... Host your own worlds online for your friends. Oh, well, that answers that. Or up to thousands of other players. Okay. So, so. it's like Diablo had a baby with Minecraft? I, uh, Diablo isn't really a roguelike, though, because your character keeps their stuff. Eh. You can go and loot so your corpse, I'm, you know? Right. Okay. So it's not really the same as roguelike. It's roguish. Rogue-inspired. And then Diablo 2, they made that even easier. Well, no, you had to get your corpse there, too. Well, anyway... Um, and you keep your levels in both games, so let's see the other difference between that and a roguelike. So I don't know what's going on here. All right, so num- two things we have to check. For $15, that's the lowest lowest tier, $15, you get a copy of the game. So none of this $1 thanks tier, just 15 bucks, copy of the game. All right. Ooh, I got the other one up. And then the top end. $10,000. Oh, boy. Is the legend You get two copies tier. of the game. $10,000, get two copies of the game. All right. A plus a digital soundtrack, a wallpaper pack, a digital strategy guide, pre-alpha access, special message in the credits of your choice. But they have to approve it. I want to say whatever I want for $10,000. Closed development forum access. Spend up to a week in our offices with us as we develop the game. Travel not included. Name 10 NPCs subject to approval. Design 10 NPCs. Not only do you get to name them, you get to help us design them, including all of their characteristics and stats, subject to approval. Premium server listing. Have your server name in a special area at the top of our list of servers. Your name in the additional design sections of the credits, specifically for our backers. Attend the team's launch party. Ooh, they forgot to put travel not included there. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Design an item. Work with us to design an item that will be included in the game. Subject to approval. Maybe the launch party's digital. Ah. I don't know what that would mean. (laughs) You get to be on a Skype call with us for $10,000. Woo! By the way, for $1,000, you basically get all of that. Um, yeah, you get to design five NPCs instead of 10 and you only get to go to dinner with them instead of going to their studio for a week. Everything else. I like the idea of hanging out with them. Like, so how's the game coming? You done yet? No. All right. Can I help it? No. How about I just sit here while you type a lot? All right. All right, then they got a list of the team down here and other things they've played. Oh, Inanzur is doing the music. Cool. 
He's done like lots of I mean, old school RPGs. It sounds RPGs. like they have a lot of people involved with it that know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, so this might be all right. But it also sounds like they can't figure out what the hell they're doing. I, well, or at least they can't explain it well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the video does a better job. So there's Maybe. Hero's Song, 800,000. Go check out the video. Decide if you want to back it or not. I Nothing's really appealing to me here because I need more explanation. <laughs> so, But uh, make your own decision. Um, so as of January 20th, they have decided to um, sweeten the pot by adding a second copy of Hero Song to every tier above $25. Okay. Well, I think it was also that uh, Glennon noted that they'd sold out of all their theme and tears very quickly. Ah. <laughs> they're, they're what? They, tears? They sold out of like, most of the sort of limited tiers very quickly right and oh, so okay. they had 25 dollars or uh <clears throat> pledged 25 dollars which was a digital copy beta 2 access thanks in the credits and that sold out so then they had to add a new um 25 tier which was two digital copies beta 2 access and thanks and again the 50 tier was limited digital collector's edition digital soundtrack wallpaper beta one access and thanks for the credits and that sold out so they added another 50 dollars tier which is two copies of the game and everything else the same and yeah they did and then the same they, thing they for give dollars so this is how they're getting around the restrictions right of kickstarter of not being able to up the counts or add a tier that's identical to a previous tier right, right? Yeah. and so now same thing a hundred dollars is sold out Digital Collector's Edition, Digital Soundtrack, Alpha Access. Uh, what's the point of making it limited if you're just going to add more? And then, yeah, they have a full tier that's two copies, Alpha Access, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And, yeah, oh my gosh, they did this for every single friggin' tier. Yeah. $150, gone. New $150, there. And all the other people who... Also, there is yeah. no way in hell that they are making this game in six months. Six months? Yeah, estimated delivery, July 2016. Are they already done? No. Six months? I didn't see that. Estimated <laughs> delivery for all of these tiers is... Wow. In fact, the new tiers that they put in are June 2016. The old ones are July 2016. Some of them are September 2016. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. The alpha access Yeah. is June. They think the game is coming out in September. Okay. This game is not coming out in eight months. Oh, here's a timeline. Here you go. October 2015, project start. January 2016, first prototype. March 2016, combat. June 2016, pre-alpha. July 2016, alpha. August 2016, beta 1. September 2016, beta 2. October 2016, launch. Boom, there's your timeline. They're not going to put out this game anymore. So year. at this point, they should be at prototype. And then March, they should be at comp... I don't know. You can do games in a year. Games in a year are doable with the right, you know, proper team and pipelines. But yeah, but in a brand new company, I don't know. They must have funding outside of this, right? Y yes. I mean, they have to. Oh, this is weird. I wouldn't want to back this. So I have too many questions. I don't know. I really like watching the "We're sorry" emails come in for other Kickstarters <laughs> I've backed in the past. <laughs> Like the ones like, all right, we give up. Well, here's your, um, no, I mean, ones like um, Medora? No, not Medora. Was it Medora? Was that it... was the Zelda one that crashed and burned? Yeah. And they're offering refunds, but not right now because he doesn't have any money. Yeah. 
Okay. Oh, wait, wait. What happened to that one? It's um, dead. It crashed and burned. He's yeah. like, I'm not making this, and I've spent all of the money. Yeah. So well, I'm going to get a job. Well, it's longer than that. He tried and tried and tried and just couldn't get the funding he needs to, to bring it home. And, you know, one of the programmers left at some point. It, just, it went bad. It just Everything went bad. And now here he is. He's like, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. I'm happy to give you a refund, but not I right can't now. give it to you right now because I, I, I have, have no money to give you. And then I will do refunds. Yeah. So, I mean, he's tr- he's trying to make it right. And I'm like, I ain't asking the dude for a refund because that's cruel. Like, I gave you money and I know there's risk that a project won't happen. So, I, you know, I don't know. This idea that if the project fails, you get your money back on Kickstarter. It's ridiculous. I think it's toxic and I don't think Kickstarter should support it. I mean, there is a project that I completely regret backing, but I'm not going to ask them for a refund. Which one? Unsung Story? Uh, no. That one's a big mess right now. That's the Phoenix one that project I was like, Phoenix? anybody who is insane enough to back this deserves one. I no, backed this it. The one, this is the Play Deck one. Okay. The one that uh, I was like, I am staying away from that. And at first, I was trying not to judge people that backed it, and then I got pretty judged. Final Fantasy Tactics want to be one. The Zodiacs? No, it's unsung story. It's actually the what's his name? Yeah, from I backed that too. Yeah, there's been a big shitstorm about a, it. There's a kick. Yeah, yeah Jason put up a Jason yeah. put up a story. It says, um, "Unsung Story is a six hundred sixty thousand dollar Kickstarter disaster." <laughs> oh, I didn't back this. No. And they're actually wait, an wait. established company. Which game was this? Unsung Story. And they're um, like, oh, we're real sorry. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll get This is the dates. one that um, Matsuno wrote the yeah. scenario for. And we're like, it's going to. Okay, he wrote a scenario. He's not really involved with it, but okay, whatever. Um, Matsuno has now written scenarios for like five different Kickstarter games. How about we stop falling for this? <laughs> So, um, what's more alarming is Playdeck seems to have switched focus on Unsung Story to make it more of a multiplayer game. <laughs> and the new development timeline is all about PvP combat rather than the narrative-heavy single-player game that the Kickstarter initially promised. <laughs> well, see, so they, that but, part of it I didn't mind. Banner Saga did the same thing and people bitched, but they well, used it to help polish the combat. Well, the, yeah, in phases. Game. Yeah. That's what they're saying they're trying to do Oh, that's what well. they're going to do? Okay. That, well, and that, yeah, the, I'm okay with that, yeah. The problem is that people are like, I didn't want a multiplayer game. Why are you making a multiplayer game with my money? Banner Saga did the same thing. It's only to do the combat first. So that part I didn't, I, I was cool with that. The problem is they said they're going to do all this and that and give us more updates. And they just, they did one update. They issued some pretty bad video of combat, which is kind of rough looking, which you'd think they'd have been further along that now. And then they basically gone silent since then even though they just promised they'd be much more uh, communicative. So that's <laughs> my problem with them now is they, they just went silent. But, you know, I put 20 bucks down. If I don't see, I don't, you know, at this point, I don't care. Yeah, Jason's being kind of unreasonable. He doesn't recognize that, yeah, the PvP thing is just a first step. Yeah, he's not re- he's not recognizing what you recognize here. Yeah, so that's uh, that's fun. Um <laughs> And then at the bottom of this article, it links 12 successful Kickstarters that never delivered. How a successful Kickstarter lost half a million dollars. The story behind Mighty Number no. 9's shady delay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that their delays were ever shady. And these are all written by Jason. So Jason, I think, hates Kickstarter at this point. I, yeah, I think it's more... Uh, 
Oh, aura tactics. Yeah, that didn't happen. Ineptness. I did have one that just totally. I've had two that just totally went blank. And aura tactics is the one I did that went totally blank. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, had... we're also still waiting on Cosmic Star Heroin, which was supposed to be out a year ago. Yeah, but they've had successful Kickstarter deliveries. Right, before. and I mean, they've all been late. Yeah, so I'm not too worried about them. I mean, I think the reality of what I've realized is that if I'm going to back something, I am not going to anticipate getting it, air quote, on time. Oh, no, not at all. I don't like any of my... There is no... I, I don't... And I mean, outs, I'm talking about video games because I know in the board and card game space, they have been very good about delivering on time when it comes to mm. Kickstarters. So bear in mind that I'm not talking about all Kickstarters. I'm talking about video games. But Cosmic Star Heroine, they give updates. They they go. They shown demos. They've actually you you see progress. And right, and I mean I think well. that's the thing that is redeeming for them is a we know they will eventually put it out. B they're really good about telling us what they're doing and where things are going, and C they're kind of not dicks about it. Oh, and Torment Tides of Numenera. Uh, that was due December 2014. Is it out? No. Okay. But year, they, they, <laughs> they delivered on Wasteland 2, so you give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And so, and I mean, that's the thing is it's like there are some Kickstarters that, I, uh, that I've backed that I waited a long time for, and I didn't end up minding it. <clears throat> um, there are some that I'm just... I don't expect him to ever come out. So it is, wow, yeah. I'm just reading one of these other articles here about the Yogg's Cast game, which went down in flames. Um, and yeah, they are, according to the terms that you agree to with when you put up a Kickstarter project, you are it says, if your project is successfully funded, you are required to fill, fill all rewards or refund any backer whose rewards you do not or cannot fulfill. A failure to do so could result in damage to your reputation or even legal action on behalf of your backers. For more on accountability, see the FAQ. Yeah, they added that recently. How There's recent? some game at some, I can't remember if it was in the U.S. or not, where they did uh, effectively sue and get some arbitration mm -hmm. from a Kickstarter. I can't remember which it I know... On one of these, but how do you get money? It's like how do you get money from Stone? They don't have exactly. money to give you. They they may legally owe you, but I don't know. If I mean, they can it's at that point up. you're just being penal and like trying to make them go bankrupt just so you feel better. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of the. It's you're not pre-ordering the game. You're you are uh, investing in a way, or. Uh, People think it's a pre-order, which is it isn't. But people, but the people that are making the games also treat it like that, and that attitude yeah. needs to change on both sides of the equation. Yeah, but I guess the only way to to entice people to give them money is to promise them things. Okay, not, but we not, need. Yeah. Otherwise, if it, hey, what am I? Why am I giving you fifty bucks? I don't even get anything from it. You may make the game. I'll just wait for it on Steam. You know, and that's if, the decision that I've made for a lot of Kickstarters in the last two years. Yeah, I've I've just gotten to the point where it's like, I can just buy this when it's out, and then I don't have to worry about how late it is. I I still don't understand what the point of giving these people money is if they have to treat it like something that they have to hand back if they fail. It's like that how do you kickstart anything you can't be successful without taking risks and you can't take risks without money but you can't risk that money if you have to hand it back if you fail it just seems like contra contrary to how kickstarter 
conceptually is. And some of these people that donate money or not donate or whatever you want to call it get really nasty on these. Uh, sure. Messages. Yeah, I get that. I, I just don't understand Kickstarter's position here. So, oh, whatever. I mean, that cut. being said, I'm looking at my Kickstarter page right now. And out of the $400 that I have spent on Kickstarter, half of it is tied up in incomplete projects and half of it are things that have been delivered. Mine might be. Uh, you're doing pretty good. I, I, <laughs> and I, I mean. I out of that, I, out of that two hundred dollars of money that I will probably never ever see the game, forty five dollars. I think, which um, is net I, gain. Anna, let Sorry. else finish. I was going to say I'm on, I'm on seven things on Kickstarter, and I think five of them are out, and two of them have at the very least playable prototypes, or probably. like alpha or. Well, uh, I don't know that you have any room to say. Because you back Star Citizen, Alice. Outside of Kickstarter. Because they pulled it off Kickstarter because they didn't want to give them 10%. Uh, no, the Kickstarter campaign for Star Citizen was 100% successful. Yeah. Oh, it did? I, okay, I thought they pulled it off so they didn't have no, to give them a cut. No, it, it finished. Okay. They but took they, my 30 they, bucks. They've basically been slackbacking for everything else. And, like getting way more money via slackbacking. Well, yeah, because the Kickstarter campaign ended at like 2.7 million, and they're now sitting on what 110 or something. Mm-hmm. Most of most of Star Citizen's money didn't. When's that come game from coming out? I don't know. <laughs> How many games are they making now? <laughs> it's a super ambitious any, game. But I mean, <laughs> stuff like um, I think the only one on that list that I actually regret is giving Peter Molyneux money. Ah, uh, what'd you back? Uh, that was Godus. Oh, Godus! But I didn't, I didn't back that for very much, so I don't really care. I gave but Oculus like, Rift a dollar. But I mean, like the first, the first thing I kickstarted on Kickstarter was Faster Than Light, which was hey, that really, was a good one, really good. Yeah, that, that and worked then also, out well. Um, Strike Suit Zero, nice, which is out mm-hmm. and finished, and it has a new ver- a different version yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, Elite Dangerous. Um, Chroma Squad. Yeah, that's I pretty good. It. I really need to play more of that. Um, and then the two that are still uh, sort of in limbo are Collateral and Project Nimbus, which are both two years late. I think. Let's see. But mine, I you know, I did Wasteland Two, Banner Saga, these Artisan Wood Dice, and Shadow and Returns. Those are my first four. They all went well. I had a couple like indie RPG maker looking games that totally disappeared and people are pissed and want to see the guys and then uh, a bunch of others and i still have some upcoming like torment cosmic star heroin the uh, ones that seem to be from like companies that look like they got their stuff together seem they to usually go well. Do well yeah, yeah. so i back i have kahula saves the world the double fine adventure the obey henry plushie uh-huh. um and chroma squad the obey henry plushie was a christmas gift for chris that showed up three months late because their like ship out of china didn't leave on time where is my obey henry plush i don't know it's somewhere things that i'm still waiting for um that are never going to come out is net gain corporate espionage and soul saga those are never going to come out and then i'm still waiting for delver's drop which is um over two it's like two and a half years late um cosmic star heroine chanesse and then I actually backed um, a film called An Act of Love. Um, and it was actually supposed to be out last month. But earlier in 2015, they did a, a go, uh, not a GoFundMe, like an indie go-go. 
campaign mm-hmm. for the money to finish the film because they kickstarted it for $75,000 and they actually ran out of money in the middle of finishing it. So they did all of the taping, but they were doing all of the post stuff to actually put together the film and they ran out of money. So then they asked for more money and they got it, but it did put them behind. All right, let's let's uh Wait. let's let Kickstarter. Yeah, go I have away. another news. Oh yeah, hit me yeah. with it. I, I mentioned it in the chat the other day too. Uh, David Gator has left Bioware, and uh, I think uh-huh. Polygon News uh, talked about it. But uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's the lead writer in Dragon Age, and he's been a writer with Bioware since Baldur's Gate Two. So he's had his hands involved with a lot of characters, a lot of plot, and a lot of you know, on a lot of games people like. So I don't know. He said it was amicable and he's got some other plans coming on. So I don't know exactly why he left. I know I did know he was getting off Dragon Age after Inquisition, though. Mm-hmm. So I guess this may be a progression from that. Maybe the disagreement. He's tired of doing it. He also wrote all the companion novels for the Dragon Age series. So uh, I actually interviewed him on my old podcast a few or the podcast interviewed him a few years ago. He's was a he really, um really nice guy? Was he the one who was he involved with Mass Effect at all or no? He was not. Okay. He was doing Dragon Age while Mass Effect was going on. Got so it. he he did Baldur's Gate two. I th- I know he was on Kotor, uh, Night of the Old Republic. I think he was he was also involved with Jade Empire. I can't remember if he did anything in Neverwinter Nights or not, but I know he did those four games: Baldur's Gate two, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Jade Empire, and then, oh, well, all three Dragon Age games. And he was the lead writer on the Dragon Age, where I think he was just a support writer in the other games. So, if you like those games' writings and dialogue and stuff, and you may miss David Gator. If you yep. did not, you hated it. Well, he hasn't announced what he's doing, has he? No. He's, he was kind of cryptic about it. So, I think he's got plans, but I don't know. You know, and Avalon left uh, Obsidian, too. Who's that? Yeah, Chris Avalon. Also he's, a big writer. He's probably amongst PC RPGs and RPGs in general, or Western RPG uh, writers. He's probably the most lauded or best well known. But he, you know, he did the original Torment and uh, some Fallout work, and uh, he's been with Obsidian since they he helped found Obsidian. So okay. he's, uh, if you like the writing deal. of if you like the writing of New Vegas, you probably like some of his stuff. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> um, he's going to work on Divinity Original Sin too. Yep. So that's exciting, actually. He's going to freelance supposedly, but uh, I interviewed him for uh, RP Gamer as well, and mm-hmm. he's a. Uh, I met with him in San Antonio PAX last year, and he's he's a really cool guy. I like him a lot. He does a, you know, he goes out of his way to you know to be extra friendly and then uh, uh you know, talks to people as opposed to other guys that you know more business but he's a he's a really nice guy so and and he i love the a lot of the games he's he's written so he worked on ftl advanced edition whatever that is what's the uh, advanced that was, edition that was the uh the one that added a bunch of stuff to ftl oh okay like new events and things oh, he like must that. have wrote some of the events or something all right maybe yeah, he's a special guest writer, I guess. So cool. Yeah, I guess they must have used some of that Kickstarter money. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, so, oh, Anna went out of the room. It's her time for her favorite section. So I'll do it for her. 
Uh, Atelier Shelly Plus, we have a trailer! Star Ocean 5 characters, we've got a trailer! Comedy RPG from publisher Bandland. Uh, the RPG's name is Zenith. They have a video and they want to get it greenlit. Trailer! Valkyria Chronicles Remastered. Trailer. And Final Fantasy Explorers. Trailer. Woo! Okay, now for the latest news out of Japan. Digimon World's Next Order is coming to Vita on March 17, 2016. Still no U.S. release date announced. Alex, are you going to import that? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fantasy Star Online 2 coming to PlayStation 4 on April 20th, 2016. Alex, are you going to import that? Uh, I don't have a PS4 yet, but I might get one. Okay. For that game? No, there's something else. Okay. A couple of other things. Uh, Are they Gundam games? Kinda. I will mention it in a little bit unless we've actually got a news story about it. Okay. Metabots is going adult. (laughs) Their their first age 15 higher rating is for a new Metabots game. Um, I don't know what it's called. (laughs) It's a girls mission. Metabots girls missions. And and it's uh, whatever that means. Um, so this is breeding Cero C, which is ages 15 and up, and it may contain moderate sexual content, more violence, or frequent use of profanity. So it's a first. Metabots, it ain't for kids anymore. So I, I'm not a Metabots person, so I don't know what to tell you about that. There's a Singapore studio um, called XII Braves, and they're making an iOS strategy game called Valiant Force. Um, I don't know. Silicon Era brought this up, and I thought the art looked neat, but it might be one of those hardcore free-to-play things, which is like, ugh, who wants to get involved in? Um, says the person who's completely and hopelessly addicted to Final Fantasy Record Keeper. Um, so I don't know. So you might want to check that out and see if uh, you want to put that on your radar. Um, they got a bunch of videos over at Silicon Era. And then finally, a new Dragon Ball RPG has been announced for art for 3DS via the V-Jump um, manga weekly manga novels in japan it is called what's it, what's it called fusion rpg which you know fusion's a big deal and uh and they've even got two people fusing in the in the artwork for that so that's all i got alice what do you got um namco bandai have announced the next game in the super robot wars series oh what is it uh super robot wars original generations the moon dwellers okay um, so there's quite a bit of speculation flying around that because this doesn't have a number in the title, they usually use the, the, the structure die number G and then the Super Robot Wars to indicate, um, actual sequels, uh, lead, have led a lot of people to think this is going to be like, um, like a Super Robot Wars OG Gaiden-esque side story thing. Um, but it does in the, uh, the screenshots that we've seen so far in the trailer, um, do show the original characters from Super Robot Wars J, which was on the Game Boy Advance and has a very good fan translation available. Okay. So it also includes the main characters from Super Robot Wars GC, which I think was the only game that came out on the GameCube. Ah. Oh, GC. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Any other stories? Uh, that's the only one I can think of. All right, cool. I th- I've already mentioned that the other game that I would probably get for um, PS4, PS4 would be the Gundam Breaker Three on previous cast. You should get all the Gundam games. Yeah, and shoot missiles. You really like those. Hey, missiles. um, do you play Galaxy? Because that's a mech game. 
Galaxy. Yeah, Galaxy-Z. Oh, um, it's on my Steam wish list. Okay. I was just wondering. All right, we have feedback. Feedback! We uh, asked a question last week. What's better between Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger? So uh, Victor writes in and says, without going into spoilers, it's well known that Chrono Cross story is a slap in the face to fans of the characters from Chrono Trigger. I'll say Chrono Trigger is better because it's not the game that poisoned the well, but I won't touch either of them. Part of enjoying an RPG for many people, including me, is becoming emotionally invested in the characters and their destinies. In terms of gameplay, Chrono Cross has some good points, no random battles, yay, but earning that best ending virtually requires an FAQ, which is another knock against it. Maybe Chris should try Shines when it comes out. It's an action fighting rpg i'm sure there will be punching did i so did i did i want to punch stuff last week or something i don't know all right um yeah oh anna called from the other room and said i backed it it's like yes we backed it um all right budai 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 paladin i think is his name no budai just budai okay like the cats versus dog argument i like both i prefer probably prefer chrono trigger but Chrono Cross is a great game in its own right. I would probably have loved it more had they gotten Toriyama to come back and do character artwork like he did for Trigger. Shaman says, I think Chrono Trigger is one of the two best games of all time. While I think Chrono Cross got about two and a two and a half points higher in various EGM opinions than it should have. Chrono Trigger has the right amount of characters and a more satisfying conclusion. Wheels says, I think Chrono Cross is best described as really good RPG, terrible sequel. That's a that's a good description. I like that. Smack D said, if I had to choose, probably Chrono Trigger. I don't really care for either of the games, but after a recent replay of Chrono Cross, it's a complete mess with mostly undeveloped characters, a boring world map, and almost Xenogears-level budget constraints on the second disc. Not to mention one of the worst turn-based battle systems I've ever encountered. Okay, <laughs> those are strong feelings, Smack D. Power Lord says, Chris, why would you ask a question where you already know the answer, even if every, that everyone's going to give? Obviously, it's Chrono Cross, because, because, because it has better graphics. I'm sorry, you can't see it, but I couldn't keep a straight face while writing that. Of course, it's Chrono Trigger. The game's more focused, more polished, and has better gameplay systems. So I see that's one Chrono Trigger, two Chrono Triggers, three Chrono Triggers, um... Yeah, I think they're all Chrono... So you're wrong, Anna. There were a couple Chrono Cross on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, you didn't include those for me. All right. So Anna says there were a couple Chrono Triggers... Or Chrono Crosses on Facebook and Twitter. Um, but everyone says Chrono Cross is a good game. Well, most everyone says it's a good game. Everyone says Chrono Trigger is either better or... I, I remember when... Um, I remember when... I think it was um, Jooms reviewed... Uh, re-reviewed Chrono Cross um, and then gave it, like... I think it was a 3.5 or something. That really pissed off a certain corner of the internet. Nice. I like it. <laughs> oh, I, I fully approve. Personal, personally, um, yeah, I, I'm generally in agreement with the people who say that Chrono, uh, Chrono Trigger is the better game, but I do feel that Cross had some very interesting like aspects to it, and it had an absolutely amazing soundtrack. Okay. I have yet to meet a person. I have yet to meet a person that says that Cross's soundtrack was bad. No, it, it's a great soundtrack. I mean, it's more Mitsuda. <laughs> I don't know that he does bad soundtracks. <laughs> No, I, 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 I can't think of anything. In fact, that maybe that should be our feedback question. Bad <laughs> Name the bad... Met oh, 
Ooh. Just bad, just bad sound. I love that. So, all right, here's how you already, give. I mean, admittedly, I think I already won that last week. But if anyone can find something that's well, what as did you bad win it that? last week? Um, oh yeah, the Sonic, Sonic. Sonic 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 Dark Chronicles oh, yeah. has. Uh, <laughs> that was amazingly bad. Uh, we might have to disqualify that one actually because yeah okay other than most... Bioware Sonic Chronicles tell us I the think... worst soundtracks because <laughs> I think some people I think the theory that they lost the soundtrack to that one and had to redo it on a Casio it's keyboard probably like true release is probably true because there's no other way in which I can think <laughs> of that it would be that bad they gave it to an intern yeah like an <laughs> well an intern on a Casio keyboard um. So any bad soundtrack or RPG bad soundtracks? Because uh, I kind of, I kind of want to just hear the worst soundtracks. Period. We'll go with RPG ones because we're an RPG cast. But if people want to mention other ones, then be my guest. All right. So RPG soundtracks, but worst RPG soundtracks, and then feel free Could to we, throw in other ones that you hate too. We can, we can, we can do best RPG soundtracks another time. Mm. To balance out, so we, we don't, don't need to do best RPG so we soundtracks. So we don't have all of this negativity. This is so much more interesting. Chris on this one, so, which like... the best one is. Hmm. So I think I'm already in agreement with you on which the best one is. The best RPG soundtrack? Yep. Six. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's the correct <laughs> answer. Okay. <laughs> all right. New release time. Oh, wait, no. How to send that feedback in. Three ways for you to do it. Forums.rpgamer.com is the message boards. Go to the latest update section. Inside there, you'll find the show thread. It'll say RPGCast373. Post your comment right there. Two, podcast.rpgamer.com. Email it in. We'll read your email right here on the show. I promise you that. Um, but not next week, the week after. Three, 608-729-4098. That's a phone call. You know what you can do on the phone call? You can play a snippet of that awful soundtrack, and we'll, that way people can hear it. Four? I know I said there was three. Here's a fourth way. You little do up a little production where you demonstrate your awful soundtrack and talk over it or something. Send it to us in an MP3. We'll play it right here on the show. Okay? All right. There you go. Whoo! All righty. New game releases for the week. All right. I have this organized this week. I did some work. So let's see. First off, uh, PlayStation 3, it's getting Lego Marvel's Avengers. So, another Lego game. <laughs> There's already been Lego Marvel. This is Lego Marvel's Avengers. PlayStation 4, also getting Lego Marvel's Avengers. Getting Nitro Plus Blasters, Heroines Infinite Duel. Oh, wait, this was delayed until February 2nd, so never mind. They're not getting that this week. Uh, the Witness from Jonathan Blow. This War of Mine, The Little Ones. And Sebastian Loeb Rally Evo, which I don't know what that is. Xbox 360 is uh, in the same boat as PS3, only getting Lego Marvel Avengers. Xbox One, also getting Lego Marvel Avengers, of course, but also getting AIPD, Artificial Intelligence Police Department. This War of Mine, Little Ones, and Sebastian Loeb Rally Evo. Wii U gets a world of Kefleens on the eShop for 10 bucks. Brunswick New Bowling on the eShop. Cuba Life Island Survival on the eShop. Lego Marvel Avengers, because they don't want to be left out. Minecraft Story Mode Episode 1, The Order of the Stones. So they're finally getting the Minecraft uh, Story Mode games. SK Easy on the eShop for a buck fifty. I don't know what that is, but it's cheap. Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> what? With the e-reader levels. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, those Super Mario Advance games, the, the numbering system is really bad. 
Yeah, the Super Mario Advance naming is just atrocious. Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario's 3, with the e-reader levels, which, you know, good luck getting that any other way nowadays. So you get that on the Virtual Console for 8 bucks. And Zack and Wiki, Quest for Barbarossa's Treasure on the eShop for $20. Um, let's see. Oh, escape. 3DS is getting Final Fantasy Explorers. Woo! So Anna Marie and I... Um, and Michael Tidwell, at the very least, are all going to be playing Final Fantasy Explorers come Tuesday night. I don't know what else we got going on, um, or other people. I, I'm hoping there'll be a lot of RPG gamer folks just playing Final Fantasy Explorers. So we need to do a lot of friend code exchanges and scheduling and stuff on our forums. So that's that's my assignment for RPG gamer staff this week: is figure that crap out, and then let's get readers and listeners involved too. I don't know what we're doing, but. There should be a lot of Final Fantasy exploring this week. All right, folks, get on it. Get on it. 3DS is also getting Lego Marvel Avengers. Mario and Luigi Paper Jam's out as of yesterday. Anna's got it. She's going to play it. Um, Pet in 3D, also on the 3DS. Vita is getting Lego Marvel Avengers as well. And Sid Meier's Civilization Revelation, Revolution 2 Plus, which I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know it was either. That's kind of cool. Um, let's see if that's actually happening. Vita. Um, Vita. Wait. Oh, it got delayed. It was going to be December. And then, uh, delay. Okay, I don't know what's going on with that. PlayStation.com. And, well, whatever. It's a last minute delay to january 26 so it is coming out now um is this a what version of the game is this so that is um let's see we're bringing a great strategic experience to vita um it's a civ rev game is this the only place you get civ rev 2 plus (laughs) i don't know i want to know more about this uh, is this already on Android? Oh, CivRev 2 is already on, like, Android and iOS. Uh, uh, it's an iOS port. I think so, but it's plus. It's got a plus on it. So that's My good, desire right? to check this out is lessened. I'm sorry. Because it's an iOS game? Yeah. Hmm. Typically, those ported over to the handhelds usually are kind of blah. Well, with Civ Revolution 1... That had an iOS version too, didn't it? No, it didn't. That was a 360 no. game. Yeah, it was a three. It was a console and then handheld. Hmm. Like I think it was on DS. I don't know if it was on PSP. Well, I think it was a little different on DS though. Yeah, I think so. And then that was closer to the mobile civs. Hmm. So exclusive to Vita, Civ Rev 2 Plus adds new scenarios, units, and world leaders from Japan's history that aren't available anywhere else. So there's your difference. Um, I'm trying to figure out if I, assuming all, assuming it's a good game, which may be a invalid, assuming it's a good game, would I rather play a Civ game on an iPad or a Vita? And I'm having trouble deciding. All right, well, back to the list. Um, now to PC. PC is getting Artificial Intelligence Police Department, Bit Blaster XL, Bombshell, Buried Town. Castle Torgeth, Descent into Darkness. It's a good name. Crashlands. Death by Game Show. 
Five Nights at Freddy World, because, you know, five of those games isn't enough. Let's have another one. Lego Marvel's Avengers, of course, because everyone gets that. Monumental, Move or Die, Order of the Thorn, spelled with an E, T-H-O-R-N-E, The King's Challenge. Order of the Thorn, The King's Challenge, whatever that is. Pythagorea, Rise of the Tomb Raider, finally coming to PC. Rivalry, Sebastian Loeb, Rally Evo. Starward Rogue. I'm assuming that's a space-based roguelike. <laughs> Just a guess. Subterrain. Swiftly. Zven Co-op. The Witness from Jonathan Blow. Tower Climb. Tropico 5, um, like special edition or something like that. So uh, more Tropico 5 on PC. Warlords Battlecry 3 and World's Dawn. There you go. There's your PC release list. With that, thanks, everybody, for being on. Alex Fuller, what do people have to look forward to on RP Gamer this week? Um, oh, yeah, that thing. Awards, that's the word. Yes, the awards. Awards. <laughs> oh, we were supposed to talk about his most anticipated games feature this show. Oh, yeah? Forgot about that. Oh, we didn't. Oh, we didn't go through it. We were going to talk about it last time, but I'm like, wait, that's Alex's piece. We need to. We need him Alex. To be on tell here. us about the most RP- anticipated RPGs. Yeah, we we ranked a bunch of RPGs in terms of how they were anticipated by the staff, and then put them in that feature. <laughs> <laughs> Did anything surprising come out of it? Um, a few surprises. We're quite surprised at how Jine even Roku FE came. All right, so all right, the bottom five were Dark Souls three, Nino Kuni no, no, two. They're, they're not the bottom five; they're the. <laughs> I'm confused. It was a, it's a top twenty. So they are for twenty to sixteen. Is that there? Are some others that missed the list? Yeah, there's a, there's a load that missed the list. Okay, and, and an honorable mention. So, uh, the bottom five of the most anticipated. So people really want these, but they want them the least out of the ones that they really want. <laughs> Dark Souls 3, Nino Kuni 2, Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth, Yakuza 0, and Divinity Original Sin 2. The not-quite-bottom five out of the most anticipated that people really want, but not quite as much as others. Torment, Tides of Numenera, Project Setsuna, Mass Effect Andromeda. Really? We know nothing about Mass Effect Andromeda. Why is that ranking because it's Mass Effect. Yeah. Yeah. Did people forget Mass Effect 3 already? I like Mass Effect 3. It was awesome. Mario and Luigi Paper Jam, <laughs> which is out now. And Bravely Second Mass Effect, or Bravely Second End Layer, excuse me. The Now we're really getting into the most anticipated games. Top 10. Horizon Zero Dawn, Dragon Quest Eight: Journey of the Cursed King, South Park The Fractured But Whole. Dragon Quest Seven: Fragments of the Forgotten Past, now with proper translation, and Gene Ibun Roku Pound Fire Emblem. So you were surprised at where that one was because it's higher than you thought or lower? Yeah, it's higher than we thought. Yeah, because it's not looking that great. That's the SMT Cross Fire Emblem game, which it seems like the more we hear about that, the less interesting it is. So I don't know what's up with that. Hmm. All right, and then your most five anticipated games. The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 2. Final Fantasy 15. Is that even coming out this year? Who knows? Allegedly. 
allegedly. Cosmic Star Heroine. Wow, that's a that's a lot of anticipation for Cosmic Star Heroine. Persona 5 and Fire Emblem Fates. All right. I, I agree with that number one and number two. That's pretty good. Yeah, they were top two. <laughs> By everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, three was me. decently uh, ahead of everything else. I did Fire Emblem, but I didn't have Persona on my list. Because you're I a mean, terrible like person. Personas. I haven't played them. Then there's a bunch of honorable mentions that I won't get into here because at some point you're just listing all the games of this year. <laughs> yeah. That's got the one, some of the ones that were sort of knocked off of being definitely 2017 or later. <laughs> like Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk probably would have been around five or six if we'd... Yeah. If you thought it would have been out this year. Yeah. Yeah. We should, may as well put Final Fantasy 15 in there. Oh, let's see. Um, I'm excited about XCOM too, but that didn't really make the list. Yeah, that got any honorable mentions. Power Lord, Power Lord is messaging me on Steam to let me know that Five Nights at Freddy's World on PC has shipped apparently incomplete to the point where the creator has issued an apology about it. So in case any of the listeners of this show were inspired by me to go and buy Five Nights at Freddy World because I listed it, you should be careful. <laughs> All right. I think it's actually been released um, uh, something like, uh, th- I don't know, three day, uh, three months earlier or something. Oh, my gosh. That's weird. Sounds like he was wanting his money. Did he hit the wrong button or something? He decided to make it early access last minute. Okay. Well then, um, write in. Tell us your your favorite bad soundtracks from RPGs, and um, we will not be having a show next week. I have a bunch of stuff to do on Saturday. It's going to be a busy weekend, um, but we will be back the week after, and without Jonathan Stringer. Yeah, I'll be back February twelfth then. Yeah. Um, but we will go over your bad soundtracks, and we look forward to you having another show with you. Until then, thanks everybody for watching. Um, you know, follow the site at uh, rpgamer.com, of course, twitter.com/rpgamer, facebook.com/rpgamer, youtube.com/rpgamer, dotcom. Uh, like us and subscribe on iTunes. It helps us out a lot. Remember, subscriptions are free. It's just attaching it to your RSS feed thing in iTunes. You, you can even turn off auto-downloads, but being subscribed does help out a lot. So subscribe it, recommend it to your friends. Tell us how you'd like us to change the show. Give us feedback. It's your show. If you don't like something about it, tell us, and uh, hopefully we can make it better for you. Um, thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, get those emails in about bad soundtracks and go play um, Final Fantasy Explorers and Paper Jam, right? Yeah. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.